0: welcome everybody to behind the blade podcast episode 21 today we're going to talk about some news in knife news we've got the flippy knife knife app the budget steel discussion buck knife history knife care and maintenance and tech tips and your q and a's get ready here it comes
1: Welcome back for episode twenty-one of Behind the Blade podcast, brought to you at the speed of Sunday. Jim, how are you doing, sir?
0: (laughs) I'm doing good, Matt. Speed of Sunday is one of my favorite speeds. It is absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. We got it. We got a great show planned for you guys today. Really hope that you enjoy it. Um, so why don't we just jump right into it without much ado, Matt? Good sir, what are you carrying?
1: I am deviating from the norm pretty substantially today. Um, I am carrying a Buck 110 iconic folding hunting knife. Uh, I love everything about this knife. I think if you were going to give it any negative points mechanically or practically, it would be the sheer weight. But other than that, I mean, it is everything. And even though it's only uh, 420HC, the Paul Boss heat treat method that he uses, uh, he's since retired, but that, that recipe has been carried on. Mm-hmm. Um, the heat treat gets the absolute most out of that 420HC, and it's, uh, I mean, it's a hell of a knife, guys. I mean, it, it really is. I, I think as a camp knife, I think as an EDC knife, um, it's not is is neato and whiz bang and trendy but Mm. i think it's an enduring style in fact we're going to come back to that a little bit later but i'm also carrying my leatherman charge titanium so this is taking the place of my typical swiss army knife slash Camillus demo knife uh that i normally carry this is a it's a toolbox absolutely a toolbox it is a little bit yeah um it's got everything that i need in it for daily carry I like the titanium scales, although I don't see much weight reduction from it. I just think it's neat, so Mm -hmm. I do dig that. Well,
0: it's supposed to be a heavy tool. I mean, you're not really looking for weight reduction. You're looking for usability and performance. Yes. You know, you need something solid, so it makes sense.
1: Yep, and it's Mm -hmm. brutally tough. I do have the, uh, what do you call it, the different bit. I guess driver bits, like
0: a, like a bit card. Yeah, they call them will, bit yeah. kits when bit you kits. order them yeah. online or whatever. Uh-huh.
1: But uh, yeah, it's a little plastic card that holds a. I mean, I'm really impressed by this. It has just about every Torx bit, every uh, flathead, Phillips, hex. Uh, what else? I think there's even some. Uh, there's squ- yeah square drives, which are really wow. rare and obscure. Yeah. You know what I mean in uh-huh. daily use. But I, I definitely use it, and the bit extender is. I mean, it's a marvel of engineering the way they did this because it not only takes the flat, <laughs> proprietary Leatherman drive system, but it'll mm-hmm. also accept any quarter-inch drive bit with a oh. magnetic base, you know, in the bit. So, base so if you happen
0: to find one but that's your driver, that's what you can use. Yeah, yeah exactly. Cool. Check this out. Yeah. I mean,
1: this is uh sorry, guys. I know this is kind of a visual gag, and we're working on that as we get the new studio built. H- uh, yeah, we'll be able to do more video action, which will be great. Oh, but nice. look at that.
0: Yeah, that's cool. That's a a tool. Yeah, so the the bit
1: extender is, I I don't know, three and a half inches maybe, and it's got a flat tang that goes into a receiver on the handle of the Mm -hmm. uh, Leatherman itself, and then you put your bit into the little quarter-inch hex drive, you know, like a screw bit. Right, and it
0: takes both quarter-inch bits and the Leatherman. And the Leatherman proprietary, proprietary flat, flat you know, bit. quarter-inch yeah. bits, yeah.
1: Nice. And, and I mean, it, it converts it to a real screwdriver. So, I mean, you can use this as you would any normal screwdriver. Mm. It has a little bit of loose rattle to it, but it is held in place by a retention spring. Mm-hmm. Um, the only gripe I have about this entire system is that Leatherman has not been able to figure out a method to carry the full set. Gotcha. Even when you yeah. buy the premium mm-hmm. leather sheath, there's no I mean there's a slot on the side to carry the bit extender. Yeah, It falls out chronically. Oh, no. I've lost it several times. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's absolutely no provision for the bit kit cards that they provide. So mm-hmm. I wish that they I'm going to have to make something custom, which mm-hmm. is fine. I have the ability. I don't really have the time, but I wish that Leatherman would have something that carried the bits right. and the bit driver in tandem with the the unit itself, the multi-tool itself. Um, Oh, I also got the pocket clip this is, yeah, I just, think this just, is a brilliant just animation. Just you know,
0: stick in front of your in, in, in your front pocket, just a just right in the corner yep. and then yeah, then you got your Leatherman without having to have anything on your belt because I know that's preferential for a lot of people. It is so, and
1: I mean, this thing's great because I use it to adjust folding knives all the time sure, so I yeah, like having the yeah. big kits. Typically just like anybody else, the number two Phillips screwdriver is going to get you in and out of most situations. Maybe the sixteenths uh, flathead driver which is included in the multi-tool without the mm-hmm. big kit uh, it comes with a double-sided Three sixteenths flathead and a number two Phillips, and that is that'll that'll get you by in most situations. But if you're a tinkerer and you want to screw around with your folders or right. uh, fix eyeglasses, it does have an eyeglass screwdriver built into it. Oh, that's cool. Um, okay. Yeah, real fine. Check this out. So uh, where is it? Is it, is it built right. into the?
0: Oh, it is. It's built into and the it, thing. It Look at that. Comes with a
1: little tiny flathead and a Phillips on the other side. If you were to oh yeah,
0: it. and you can oh it's got a little it's got a little uh, like a like a leaf spring system to hold it in. Yep and then you just pull it out and flip it. That's pretty slick. Yeah, I don't think I've ever actually held one of these up close.
1: Pretty well-engineered tool, and I think the base Mm. tool itself is more than adequate. If you are more of a tinkerer and not as much uh, on-the-fly-I-need-to-fix-this kind of thing, then I recommend the bit driver and the bit extender, uh, or I'm sorry, the bit kit Mm. and the bit extender. But I, I wish Leatherman would sort it out and make this... Carryable. Gotcha. The whole presentation. Gotcha. So, yeah. I, know
0: that, I know that my Victorinox Swiss tool doesn't have any of that stuff, but I, but I think the regular screwdriver is uh is a number two. Oh yeah, number two, there. and it's you got know, a long on the, shank on it. Yep, yeah, I know. How's the how's the weight? How's the weight in
1: comparison between the two? I think mine's lighter. Is it? I think okay. so. Yeah, I, yeah, tell yeah. me what you think, but
0: Yes. Yes, yes, yours is lighter.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Interesting. For sure. So, so it's okay. lighter
0: than the Leatherman Swiss than the Leatherman Swiss tool. Was a Victorian? Was oh, the Victorinox. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I get sued for saying that yeah. out too loud. <laughs> oh, no but, kidding. But. Uh...
1: But yeah, awesome, good. So what are you
0: carrying today, good sir? So I am also deviating from the norm. Because we've been talking about sacks so much, I absolutely had to get myself a Pioneer.
1: Nice. Did so, you already have that, or did you order it? No, I ordered it. Oh, no I did, kidding. I did
0: not have one. I did not have one. The only Swiss Army knife I had was, I think, the, the the basic model that everybody gets Yep. at some size that's, what, two and three quarter inches long with with a minimal amount of tools with a toothpick. Like a cadet, a, maybe, a or cadet a classic? cadet sounds right. Yeah. A cadet sounds right. Yeah, I think that was that was that's the typical, uh, the stereotypical Swiss Army knife that everybody thinks about when you say Swiss Army gotcha. knife. But with the multiple tools in it, so I decided to go with something a, a little bit closer to the demo knife, what, what we were comparing it to before, and I am been, been very happy with it. This thing's very compact. It slips actually. So I'm a front pocket wallet carrier. Okay. Right, right. That's just I never carry anything in my back pocket. I feel I think it feels uncomfortable, so I just don't carry it. This slips in right next to my wallet in my front pocket, just fine. Nice. No problems whatsoever. You can carry it around, pull it out, use it. Good, it's good to go. I mean, and I and I love the loop on the end of it, so you can so and so that's a quick paracord around a belt loop thing, so you can quickly pull it out.
1: I just did a uh, uh, lanyard on mine to make it easier to get out of that slip that I made. Oh, right. And I yeah. put a lanyard loop knot. You know, it's kind of like a cool decorative knot, but it's a very <laughs> short leash on it. And I reached in and I, I grabbed it and I'm like, this is great. So that's I can awesome. show you that knot. And I just did it super short. And it makes it so much easier to retrieve it from your pocket. because you, That's all you're grabbing. Yep, that's exactly. cool. It's yep. very cool.
0: I am also carrying one of my favorite knives in the world is a basic oh, Spyderco Endura. I love it. I mean, I... I I don't know why I'm so attracted to this knife, but this is one of those knives like the PM two. Mm-hmm. It's better PM two. It's exceedingly usable. Yep. You open it, you open it, it's comfortable in the hand. You can push on it. It's a back lock, so the lock is strong. I mean it's got a great slicing ability. I love the blade shape. It's very, very utilitarian. And light. And it's
1: lightweight. Light. And I got
0: so the one that I got wasn't one of the uh the Japanese um Stainless ones, the like like the one that I had before, but this is a uh, what is that nylon? Uh, uh, FRN, FRN, fiber
1: reinforced nylon, as they call right. it. So it's going to be comparable to Zytel or any of the glass reinforced polymers that you're going to see in the handles today.
0: Gotcha. So this is this feels very strong in the hand. I mean, I can't flex it. No, at we're all. tough. I mean, I, at all in my hand while it's open. I mean, I could bend it a little bit and it closes, but that's to be expected. But still, it's extremely strong. This is not going to break in my hand. The steel's VG10, decent steel. I mean, it's a work steel. It will just perform, and it's easy to resharpen on my KME sharpener system. (laughs) And, and, And I'm just very satisfied with it. It slips very neatly into my back pocket. And if I need to flip it around to the left side in case I'm carrying something on my belt the The pocket clip just unscrews. Yeah, on the, it's on reversible. The one side. I think it's Throw four it position. It. Isn't it is. It? Tip yeah, up,
1: tip down. Tip up, tip down. With right. Spyderco's, I am a tip down guy because mm-hmm. I'm a big proponent of the Spidey drop, Spider drop, whatever you want to call right, it.
0: Right, just pull it up, thumb goes right into the hole, and it opens right up. Yep. yep. And you mm-hmm. and
1: you drop the handle down into your palm. And actually, if I didn't have the thumb stud that I had custom made on the uh, 110, I mm-hmm. open the 110 the same way. Gotcha. And it's got so much handle weight that it opens with a flash. Now, nice. I, and I don't recommend this, uh, but I can say from personal experience. We were out on a job site having our first cigarette of the day, uh, waiting for the truck to warm up, and it was in the wee hours in the morning. It was still dark out, and I had an Endura 4 on me, partially mm-hmm. serrated, Sabre ground, black FRN handle. Right. And the f- it was a Ford pickup truck, and we're just standing out there smoking. hmm It's running to warm up. Yeah. The door's locked.
0: Oh no! And we're just standing there.
1: sudden, you seeing her chunk, and we're like, "Was that the doors lock? Were that the you?" Know, You're like, like "Son yeah. of a!" <laughs> yeah, and and so I go over there, and we try to open it. We can't get in. And we're trying these various methods, and I took my Endura Four and Spider Co's are pretty thin mm-hmm. by by industry standards. They're not like yeah. a ZT or something. And I took that Saber Crown Spider Four and I jammed it between the upper part of the uh, driver's side door, uh-huh. I pried the door open enough to get a coat hanger in and unlock the vehicle nice. with ease. So nice. uh, they're deceivingly tough knives. I do not recommend that and I, I God help me, I'm sorry <laughs> Spyderco if I cause you any strife. But just so you know that they're not as fragile as they appear because of their thin geometry. They are actually mm-hmm. pretty tough knives.
0: No, no, I've never had a break on I me, mean, no. and I know the last one that I had it went through some pretty tough abuse. Yeah, and uh, and uh, you know, just bouncing it off the ground and me just being clumsy and throwing it down a couple flights of concrete stairs, right. and you know, it came out. It came out just fine, no problems. I mean, I don't, I don't even think it opened on me. I mean, this the spring is nice and tough, so yep. I've never had this like being thrown, bounce open.
1: You know, I mean, it's,
0: I, I guess it's just. Uh, it's a staple. And they're a good price. I mean, you, it's, it's a good knife for a
1: good price. Pick it up. They are, yeah. And they open yeah. beer bottles like the Dickens. Oh, know? yeah, mine absolutely. Are all yeah. up, you know. Uh, <laughs> On the back yeah, end. Yeah, my, my
0: ULB is starting yep. to get the same way. I mean, it's a, so, so that's what I'm carrying, man. Nice. And I'm, good I'm just, choice. I'm just, I'm just impressed with it. i got to go back and see if I can find another stainless one because I like the stainless handles. The too. stainless handles, yeah. yeah. I want to get
1: a black. Jim and I were talking about this off air. And I think next week I'm going to order myself a black Sabre Ground Plain Edge. Endura for. Nice. I, I mean, I, I love them so much. And that uh, pair, the Swiss Army Knife Pioneer mm-hmm. and the, the Endura, I mean, that's a lightweight. You can do anything with that combination in the yeah. course of an EDC day.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, uh, and totally satisfied. And they're light and they're strong and they're reliable tools yep. at a good price. Yes. You cannot beat that combo. I mean, uh, for I mean, especially if you're especially if you're a little bit more budget conscious and you want something that you know will be strong and do whatever you need it to do. What are you into that? About hundred bucks between those two nights? It was about hundred and twenty bucks with shipping. Okay. Between between both of them, but then again, I think I think I, I popped for overnight. Oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, so it's probably not even that. Yeah. Um. So so yeah, I mean, it's 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 a good deal. Well rounded. It is. It's well rounded. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So that's what I'm that's what I'm rocking today, good sir.
1: All right, Jim, my man, what do we have in the way of, I guess, uh, we're going to get into some knife news? We're going to get right into the knife news.
0: Industry headlines from around the world, brought to you by KnifeNews.com, knife news for knife people. All right, and we are back for the news. We really hope that you guys really liked that intro. I know I liked making it, (laughs) at the very least. It's such a blast. I think it's just fun. (laughs) So, So, awesome. All right, jumping right into cool new knife stuff. All right. All right, Matt? Um, how often do you play apps on your phone?
1: Uh, I would say never.
0: Never. All right. I'm also not a big app game fan, but I know that we're not the only ones. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, that did that, that do that, but I also know that there are guys on the other end of the of the spectrum that like you know games on their phone. That's like their primary way of playing video games. Time killing, you know, kind of. Yeah. Like sitting in a waiting room for hours on end, or a passenger in a vehicle. So you want to play a game. So why are we talking about this? Flippy knife. Is, a, is an app that you can download on iOS and Android. I bet and, it is. And it includes knives that are that actually exist.
1: Oh, like branded, like, recognizable like knives? Branded, okay. like from
0: Brian Teague, Cold oh. Steel, Emerson, Olamic Tactical, and it uh, looked like Smith & Wesson's in there, too, for their stuff. The Cold Steel Frenzy, Hawk Knives Deadlock, the Brian Teague Fighter, and the Olamic Swish are actual models that are inside the game. Basically, the game works like Angry Birds, where, in instead of the bird going into the slingshot and you're trying to knock over the physics game to kill the pigs, you uh, do the same thing with knives, and with knives and targets.
1: Okay. So there was an archery game like that. Oh, like when I first got my smartphone yeah. many years ago. And uh, you would draw back the arrow and shoot it in the targets cool. from different ranges. That's that's that sounds way cooler. Cool actually, yeah, that'd be cool to do. It <laughs> that nice. sounds so I could good. See, I could get off on that.
0: So, uh, so when they when they launched, they partnered with a uh, YouTube celebrity, Wild or Chad Wild Clay. It's clear that when Chad Wild Clay speaks, speaks, his 1.7 million subscribers oh. listen. 24 hours after posting a video introducing Flippy Knife, the game has been downloaded 20,000 times, with hundreds of Chad Wild Clay f- fans flooding the app store and google play with positive reviews. So apparently, it, not only is it a knife game, it's a positive knife game that people enjoy playing. Good. So, that's good and it puts product out in front of more people so if they actually want to have the real knives that are in the game, they can go out and buy them. In fact, the same guy has a video called five flippy knife weapons in real life
1: that they go through. So it's working. So the, it's the, so it's like a the, the marketing yeah. side of things is working.
0: So the so the marketing side of that is working. So, it's kind of like a cool thing. So I saw that on knife news. Uh and I uh, thought I'd throw that in there, you know, just in case you guys want to throw around some knives virtually. There you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> without getting in in your too off much time. Yeah, in public. Yeah. In public. Without getting in too much trouble. <laughs> yeah, I'm
1: not a big app guy, but I can see the benefit. I know that uh when I was playing Hitman Silent Assassin, I think it's on PS two or Ooh, yeah, something that's like a that. Game, yeah. Um that my video game knowledge is archaic at best. But when I was playing <laughs> that, he got a SOG Pentagon. Nice. Which is loosely based on the Randall 2-4...
0: Ooh. 24. I'm sorry, it's okay. a 24,
1: but it sounds like a 24 because it's a Dagger, Model 2, and it's a 4-inch blade. So the Randall 24 looks a lot like the Sog Pentagon, except the Sog Pentagon has got a Kraton handle mm-hmm. and serrations all the way up one side of the blade.
0: Right, just that, that would be on the spine side, and then the, yes. the plain edge side would be the other side. And Absolutely. that showed
1: up in the Hitman game, and I thought it was so cool. I had to have one. <laughs> I've had probably six of them now. You know, I, buy, I still have one today, but I just thought it was such a great thing to see that Sog knife from my childhood show. In a video game and Mm -hmm. and so i I definitely see the merit in that Mm -hmm. you know what i mean i just me personally the app games they don't tickle my fancy
0: um i've tried habitually playing games on on apps because i have a few friends who do it and they're like like you you should join and you should play and then and uh and and if you play on my recommendation you get so many extra blah blah whatever it is and and i'm like all right cool let's get into it and then i'm then i'm into it for about Forty-eight hours before I drop it, yeah, and it's just—it's just not for me. But thought I'd tell you guys out there because we know that you guys, there are some out there that will get a kick out of this. I know for a fact.
1: Yeah, we're checking it out.
0: So, and something a little bit different. Um, so the article is entitled on KnifeNews.com: "Just How Bad Is Budget Blade Steel?" Posted September fifth, Pete of the Cedric and 80 YouTube channel uses an established, repeatable method to measure edge retention. To date, he has put more than 40 steels to the test on his channel. Everything from high-end powder metallurgy steels to butter knife blade steels. We we reach out to Pete for his assessment on how budget blade steels measures up to more expensive options. By we, I mean knife news, not us. (laughs) (laughs) Good clarification. Yes. (laughs) Um... So he so he has a metric. So on his on his test and I don't actually have a description of what his test is, but it oh, seems really? like it seems like they didn't a, include that in the article? No, no, does not include I exactly like that's what pretty it critical. is in the article. But um but the testing medium that they use is is abrasive sisal rope. So I'm assuming a number of cuts. So I'm assuming it's a board with a number of cuts and they just start cutting. Oh, not free hanging. Right, not okay. not okay. free hanging. Okay. You know, just like right up against that. Um free hanging would be a little bit more difficult to do on smaller knives. Oh, you know, unless oh, it's, point uh, taken. Unless, unless, it, unless it's thinner. Touche. Um but he he finds that steels that which fail to make sixty to seventy cuts in his testing translate to poor EDC options, and uh, and so, so he that's
1: his threshold sixty clean cuts
0: right if it if it can't perform sixty to seventy cuts yep. in there, um, I, I imagine in that threshold it's like marginal right. like you can but beware right but, but but if it's under sixty then definitely no, um, and he says. Quote, Knives that land below the 60 mark generally frustrate me when I carry them extensively as a daily user," he says. Metric rules out the standard budget steels on the today's market. Heat treat plays an important role in the performance of any steel, but in testing, Pete has found that AUS8, 8Cr13MOV, and 440C all fail to
1: meet the 60 cut mark.
0: No I don't think that's fair. And and he and said he's <clears> like you <throat> know uh,
1: heat treat is important, but no, there is no but. Yeah. That is the almighty. So I mean. Heat Treat is what makes this stupid not, not stupid, but this makes this Buck 110, mm-hmm. one of the best working man's knives out there. I mean, yeah. as far as edge retention, four, sharpenability. Yeah.
0: And that's 420HC. Right. People, people crap on that all the time.
1: And <laughs> it, and But the, the Heat Treat gurus at Buck Knives have managed to get so much out of it that it's still a, a, a plausible, effective working knife. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So, when they're like, Heat Treat, but, there is no but. I mean, the, the, you can get Marginally better, you know how I feel about sure. blade steels. Uh, you can get marginally better as you move up into the powder metallurgy steels, which is what we use in the shop for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. But when it talk, you're talking about an EDC knife for you know forty or fifty dollars. These guys are going to hammer on them, and they're going to use them, and th- that's okay. That doesn't make it a bad EDC knife. So I. The article frustrates me a little bit. I'm not going to go <laughs> on a tangent in the uh-huh. very first segment, but uh, I carry on with the article. I'm so, just curious to see what he says. So,
0: so really, really, the article, just to kind of sum up the rest of it, is that he, his 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 results reflect our are also our experience with using the steel. So, like steels like CTS XHP goes all the way to 242
1: cuts. Oh wow! Okay. On that,
0: and that's to be expected. Yeah, something with that kind of abrasion resistance. Yep. <coughs> Excuse me. Um. But um, he, and he claims that um, knives that are made out of AUS-8 and 8C or 13 MOV are high carbon steels with superior edge retention. And he says that that isn't true and hasn't been for a long time. I just want to steal my lower cost knives, which hold a little bit longer than what's widely used.
1: I, now, so, AUS-8, I believe. 440C, I have a hard time believing. Yeah,
0: I have a hard time believing it, too, because it. Uh, we both would heat treat 440C, I think, a lot differently than a lot of people would.
1: That's possible. I mean, and there's a little bit, I don't know if it still is, uh, uh, I guess, in play these days, but there was some dubious branding from yep. Japan and China back in the day where they said yep, it was 440C steel. Uh, yeah, 440C. Yeah, and it wasn't. No, it was it 420. It, it was 420, 440A. 40 a, you know what I mean? And they would go through and brand it improperly. So I wonder the source of the steel, too. You know, mm-hmm. I would like to see like uh, what Co does with the mules. Yeah, you know something yes. more pretty controlled. So well, yeah. Spy-
0: Spyderco is a great benchmark. I think we've about to cover that on the podcast before. But, but when I whenever I want to test a new steel that I'm unfamiliar with, I buy a Spyderco mule. Yep. Period. There you go. Period. I know that their heat treat is, if it's not the best that can possibly done, be done to it. It's 90%. Yeah. I mean, so so I know that without fail, their heat treat has been phenomenal.
1: That's why we use their so, house to heat treat our nice. Right. Exactly. Because <laughs> stuff so, is on point. Right. Because
0: yeah. it's on point. I mean, I'm the, uh, what was it? K390. I have a mule in K390. I think I've talked about that before. Um, we we decided that it was not a good fit for us because we can't get a decent polish via our method. Oh, okay. Even though I was able to convex it, I was able to get a good edge on it that's still rocking sharp right now. It's but it looks like it got drug
1: the, up here on the asphalt road. Right. Yeah. It
0: looked like it looked like it got you know drug up here via a rope and an old truck. Yeah. You know, right, you know? I right. mean, I mean, um, is it, well, was pretty bad. So it's really tough to do via our method and still have a good look. Um, so we decided against it, but I wouldn't have known if I didn't buy a Spyderco mule for it. Right. I mean, the, uh, what was the other one? CPM 110V. I bought a Manix 2 sprint run. Oh. CPM 110V. Oh, nice. Um, and I was actually able to do that.
1: Oh.
0: That one turned out okay. I had a Manix 2 in that, so I should, I should dig that out and show you.
1: Yeah, it it, I but, like those Manixes.
0: Yeah, no, no, they're nice. Um, but, but, um, that's kind of my test bed for, for, for some of that yep. stuff. But as far as, excuse me again, man, um, as far as 440C goes, I've made knives out of 440C that perform phenomenally.
1: I've made choppers out of 440C just yeah. to see if I could. And yeah, uh, yeah.
0: and and I, I don't know if uh, so 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 I don't know exactly what his test what his test cutting platform is, but I do know that his results reflect what the steels typically how how they'll perform. That's so you, you'll get less cuts out of something like 440C and more cuts out of XHP. Right, yeah. And, and I imagine that A2 will fall somewhere in there, and 3V will be performed better than A2, but not as much as XHP. And I, I imagine that his results will come out pretty believable. But Is there
1: a link where uh, these guys can go check it out, maybe where we can go absolutely. check it out Absolutely,
0: I was just about to do that. It's YouTube.com slash Cedric oh, Ada, C-E-D-R-I-C. Excuse project. me, sorry about that, eh? muting my Chromebook. YouTube.com slash Cedric Ada, C-E-D-R-I-C-A-D-A. Um, and, uh, you can check out his testing platform there and decide for yourself. I have not looked at it, but I would definitely love to hear from you guys about that. So, yep. so email us on at, uh, info at behind the blade or message us, message the, uh, the business page over Facebook. And we will absolutely come back to this with further discussion. If you guys hit us up and, uh, get a little bit of recognition, oh, There you, go. you know, for, for your stuff as well. All right. Do you have anything else for the news? Good, sir.
1: Uh things on the home front with uh Knives World Headquarters yeah. and they're hanging uh drywall uh this weekend. All right. The drywall guys up here work on weekends which is great. So And, and
0: that's going relatively smoothly. I mean like you guys I'm just waiting. Like I'm, like yeah like. I'm waiting for that
1: big the other <laughs> shoe to drop and then be like, oh like this everything's yeah. going
0: really smoothly oh by the way we built your shop 10 feet under sea level if things and are it's well now yeah exactly if things go this smoothly uh-huh. it
1: usually means you're walking into an ambush oh you, man you know what I mean? yeah, so, yeah. i'm like oh here we go uh no we did just bring on a new employee miss ashley so we're excited about that that's going to help our throughput and uh so big things for our shop are happening right now um as far as industry news not just me talking about stuff but it is consuming my life also um, mm-hmm. so what else, what else is anything with you? Um, on?
0: I, I've got two more CNC machines showing up this week. Sweet. So, Love and then, it. and then I've got two more coming toward the end of the year. Love it. So, so Barker Knives will be in full self-made production Yay. very shortly, and things are turning around, and things are looking so good yeah. right now. <laughs> well deserved. <laughs> it's, well it's, deserved. It's, it, thank you. Thank you. So everything's, everything's going great. Um, and our production's going up. Uh, my Marauder Knife is coming into production soon. Oh, sweet. So, I can't wait to see So, that. so yeah. I gotta hit, I gotta hit up Engineering, and, uh, and that'll be the first one in the the Marauder series that I'm doing, and hopefully that'll be a home run. Sick. And if not, it'll be a mediocre seller. Yeah. It'll still be alright, <laughs> even still. <laughs> so, so that's what's going on with me. And uh, so I guess that wraps it up. All right. So we will see you guys in just a little bit with some sexy history.
1: What's happening, gang? Just a gentle reminder for you to go visit one of our good friends here at Behind the Blade Podcast, Tom Krein, K-R-E-I-N, at KreinKnives.net. Or, Jim, can you find him on his Facebook group?
0: Facebook group, that would be Facebook.com slash groups slash krynknives, spelled the same way as Matt just did.
1: There you go. Now, check out his Flash Lottos. He is obviously backlogged for some amount of time, but I was kind of trolling around his website. And if you are a crime supporter, you can find plenty of swag that he has available. I know because every morning I drink out of that German tankard. It's kind of like a clay. I think Jim has one too, right? (laughs) I do
0: too. I do too. It's awesome. Yeah, It it holds its heat better than anything else. It's also like twice the size of any other mug in my house. Holy cow. And so,
1: I mean, this guy does his swag with the same performance that his knives come out in and no expenses spared. So he's got some great stuff on the website. But if you do follow him in the Facebook group, you'll actually be able to get your hot little hands on some of his knives if you're lucky enough to win one of his flash lottos or the Make It Your Way campaigns that he runs. So go check him out. Again, that's Crime Knives, K-R-E-I-N, CryingKnives.net, and Facebook.com slash group slash Crying Knives. All right, and we are back with a history segment this Sunday. This is one that I'm kind of excited about, and it's actually kind of funny that we haven't touched on it already. We are going to talk about the United States company, Buck Knives. It's iconic. Iconic, iconic. company. I mean, every yep. everybody listening to this, this is another one. You know, we've, we've mentioned this several times on the podcast to you guys, but this is like the Swiss Army Knife. everybody listening to the podcast either owns, has owned, or at the very least knows who Buck mm-hmm. Knives are. No, oh, yeah. You know, and it's... I've got a 110. I've had a 184 in the past. I've had a Nighthawk in the past. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've had a a number of Buck knives. And even though, uh, you know, I'd like a 119 at some point just to have it because they're pretty cool. They were in Scream, and they're you know pretty nasty. (laughs) Um, So let's get right down to it. This is taken from Wikipedia, my favorite source for knife history. Uh, So Buck Knives is an American knife manufacturer founded in San Diego, California. Now located in Post Falls, Idaho. The company has a long history through five five generations. Five generations. I know, right? And we ah. all talk about Chuck Buck like he was number one, oh, you right. know? Yeah. But it goes back even further than that. Through five generations of the Buck family from get a load of this, and we're getting into Webster Marble era, nineteen oh two.
0: These guys knew about Webster Marble.
1: To present yeah, oh, day. Yeah. I mean yeah. You know, 1902. Huh. That's crazy. I mean, my our houses. What year was your house built? 1901. Me too. 1901 yeah. completed in 1903. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So during that time, Buck was kicking off. You know what I mean? When the sidewalks were made of wood.
0: <laughs> That's nuts. Right? Um, there, there was wood to walk on or the mud. Yeah. That yeah. was it. When
1: the boats were made of wood and the men were made of iron. Uh, buck Knives primarily manufactures sport and field knives and is credited with inventing the folding hunting knife and populari- popularizing it to such a degree that the term buck knife has become synonymous with folding lockback knives, including those made by other manufacturers.
0: Oh, I've, I've totally heard about that before. Oh. This, this goes along with... This goes along with being in the South, and go and uh, you sit down at a restaurant, and the waitress comes up to you and goes, what do you want to drink? He goes, I want a Coke. What kind of Coke? What
1: kind of Coke, right? Yeah. And, and hey. so I was like, uh... <laughs> and that's true. I've been, I've been in that situation, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd like a Coke. What kind? Mountain Dew. That's <laughs> uh, not even okay. a Coke product. Yeah. Um, yeah, or Kleenex, Weed Eater, Scotch <laughs> Tape. Xerox. Xerox. Yeah, Band-Aid. Yeah, Band-Aid's, Band-Aid's another yeah. one, yeah. right. Uh-huh. So there's so many of these, uh, and Buckknife is fortunate and has the longevity and brand recognition that is strong enough that they've actually slipped into this role of being synonymous with mm-hmm. any product that is even reminiscent of the original branded right. product. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's yeah. get into the history itself. So the company origins, Hoyt H. Buck became a blacksmith's apprentice in Kansas in 1899. I'm sorry guys, the bill of my hat keeps hitting my microphone. I'm going to turn around so you guys do have to do that. Uh, <laughs> uh, in 1899 at the age of 10 he learned to make knives and at 13 in 1902 He learned to make knives and at 13 in 1902 and developed a method of heat treating steel for hose and other tools they will hold an edge longer. So he was kind of a semi-pro metallurgist at that point at the turn of the century, right? Very nice. Hoyt left Kansas in 1907 for the American Northwest and eventually enlisted in the United States Navy. He is not known to have made knives until 1941 in Mountain Home, Idaho after the attack on Pearl Harbor. Hoyt made each knife by hand using worn out file blades as raw material using worn-out file blades as raw material. So just remember, guys, and you're going to catch a lot of flack online about using file blades, but, uh, you know, I've made decent knives out of them, and Hoyt Buck, the founder of Buck Knives, had to start somewhere, too. So don't let that discourage you guys. You'll grow (laughs) as you do things. You can
0: absolutely use that to feel good about, about the work that you do. I mean, like, so don't let anybody give you crap about making knives out of files, especially if you're learning. Yes. I mean... Hoyt Buck, yeah, yeah. founder of Buck Knives,
1: to read one right of with the Matt's points. Biggest knife manufacturers in the world today. In the entire
0: yeah. world and the history of knives, started out making knives out of files. That's why I love <laughs> history because it reminds yeah. us
1: that we all start on exactly the same page. Right. We all start with a hammer or a file or a bench grinder mm-hmm. in a garage and the hopes to do great things. Right. And what you do with it from there, is a hundred percent you're doing and maybe uh maybe I should say ninety-five percent you're doing and five percent luck. Yeah. You being in the right place at the right time. Yep. And so anyways, just to get back on that, uh let's see, made each knife by hand, using one of our uh, collectors call these knives four strikes, as each of the letters in Buck, B U C K, was struck with an individual letter stamp. Huh. I think that's kinda cool, right? Uh, yeah. And in nineteen sixty one everything changed and marking was replaced by a one piece stamp. So 1941, they did that method for 20 years. I think I would have been like after month six. All right, let's get a stamp (laughs) made. (laughs) We've made enough. Um, When the United States entered World War II, the government asked the public for donations of fixed blade knives to arm the troops. Upon learning there were not enough knives for soldiers, Hoyt Buck bought an anvil, forge, and grinder to set up a blacksmith shop in the basement of his church. Hoyt later explained, I didn't have any knives to offer, but I sure knew how to make them. After World War II, Hoyt and his son Al moved to San Diego and set up shop as H.H. Buck and Son in 1947. These early knives were handmade and more expensive than typical mass-produced knife. Hoyt Buck made 25 knives a week until his death in 1949. <whistles> that's a lot. I mean, yeah, I, I mean that's that's for doing everything totally by hand. I mean, that's that's significant. 20, I couldn't do yeah, that. Yeah, 25 knives a week
0: is a lot of work.
1: Good for yep. Him. Yeah. him. Uh, in the 1950s, the company began manufacturing on a much larger scale and marketed through dealers as opposed to direct mail. You can kind of see that natural progression go with everybody. You yep. Know, yep. John Eck and Absolutely. Uh, Buck and, Knives. So, uh, you
0: know, take note. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. So just yeah, put that in your back pocket yeah. and hang on to it. On April 18th, 1963, two years after incorporating, the Buck Board of Directors authorized development of a new folding utility and hunting knife. The new design featured a sturdy locking mechanism and a substantial clip point blade suitable for butchering and skinning large game. This became the famous Buck Model 110 Folding Hunter. And that is the knife I'm carrying today. That's that iconic brass bolster, diamond Mm -hmm. wood, brass liner, 420 blade. They used to be carbon steel, obviously, back in those days, but now they're stainless. And Mm -hmm. uh, I got to go on a side note just real quick. All right, let me get through the Buck One Ten, and then I'll go on my side on my tangent. Uh, The Buck Model One Ten has a three and three quarter inch blade, high tension lock, low pressure release. Handles are typically wood with bolsters of heavy gauge brass. Introduced in 1964, it was one of the 1st lockback folding knives considered strong enough to do the work of a fixed-blade knife. Its debut, revolutionized hunting knives, rapidly becoming one of the most popular knives ever made, with some 15 million Model 110 knives produced in 64. 15 million! <laughs> 15 million! I mean, that's a lot oh, of knives. That's, that's a lot out there, man. Absolutely. Uh, before 1981, the specially heat-treated stainless steel used was 440C, Uh, let's see, before 1981, the specially heat-treated stainless steel used was 440C. From 1981 to 92, it was 425M, as in Mike, and after 93, Buck has used 420HC stainless steel. Its design is one of the most imitated knife patterns in the world. The Buck Model 112 has a 3-inch blade, slightly smaller version of the 1TED. Uh, better suited for carry, which I think is a subjective comment. I think it's an opinion. Better suited for Carrie. It's as in um,
0: as in it's just smaller. It's I mean, it's smaller. So, yeah. Yep. I think but, some
1: people yeah. will see the appeal in it. Um, but I gotta say, so couple things. Uh, as a young man, I was fortunate enough to to meet this guy, good friend of mine, uh, military vet, taught me a lot about work ethic and about outdoors and all this stuff. And he, I, you know, he's kind of. We've grown into this brotherly relationship, but at one point it was definitely mentor and mentee or uh, uh, teacher and pupil kind of thing, right? Gotcha. Uh, He always carried a Buck 110, uh, some sort of multi-tool, and a flashlight. When we met each other, I was carrying... I don't, it was a multi tool, a Gerber multi tool, a flashlight, and <laughs> yep. I just had a different pocket knife. But we, we were kind of kindred spirits <laughs> at this point. We uh-huh. ran into each other, and he always had that 110. And the sound of it is even somewhat nostalgic to me, like just the opening sound of it. He'd use it to pick <laughs> his teeth. Um, you know, we got the drop on a rattlesnake during a camping trip, and he skinned out the rattlesnake right there with that 110. I mean, mm-hmm. everything he did was with this knife. And I was like, you know, it's kind of an old knife, it's not very cool it's not contemporary or Mm -hmm. you know trendy right now but i always respected it as a knife and then many years later i watched this video it's a movie it was on netflix i don't know if it still is called high wild and free and it was about Mm -hmm. being an outdoorsman in the 60s and it's all black and white (laughs) and these guys are doing everything from bighorn sheep hunting and it's um I mean, it's it's an interesting video or movie. I thought it was really good, and I wa- it's like an hour and a half, and I watched the whole thing. You know, it was great. Mm-hmm. But this bush pilot gets, or this this guy gets flown in by a bush pilot somewhere in Alaska to do mm-hmm. this fishing trip, and on his belt is a buck one ten, which was cutting edge <laughs> technology at the time, right? Right. And he pulls up. I don't remember what kind of fish it was, but he pulls, he gets, it and lands this big fish, and he and he pulls it, and he has his thumb in the mouth that he's holding it. And if you've ever had or held a buck one ten, it has a pretty substantial heel to it, like yeah. uh, the the finger side of the handle where the bolster comes down it comes to almost a point yep but there's you,
0: a big arc to a point y-
1: yep and exactly and right. then it, mm-hmm. the arc continues over to the yep. blade right to make mm-hmm. up the handle well he took that brass butt and he banged this knife on the head to put it out after he caught it uh-huh. and i was like Look at the verse, and then he used the knife to f- clean the fish. And I was like, "Oh, no kidding!" So no, you don't know, <laughs> have to bang it on a rock or something like that, you know, yeah. to put, you know, to dispatch that animal. So he used the the butt of his buck knife, and I'm like, "You know what? The weight on that is significant, definitely enough to crush the skull on a fish." Oh yeah. And it, it's a, a concentrated enough in that point. And I said, "What a versatile hunting knife!" And I mean, people mm-hmm. use them to skin deer and elk, and, I mean, so yeah. I really. It is a complete outdoorsman's knife, and although it is a little bulky for EDC by today's standards, because it's this big kind of cowboy-looking pocket mm-hmm. knife, it was real big <laughs> with the bikers too. Bikers love these. Oh knives. really? But yeah. They, at all the rallies, they would make these uh, one-arm bandits, like one-hand opening leather horizontal pouches with a little Delrin rod. Oh, of course. So when you yeah. pull it out, it would open, you know, on its own. Yeah. Kind of cool, but yeah. Um, so it was so iconic to me. It's such an important knife to me. The one I'm holding is actually an anniversary gift from my wife. Um, she knew how much I, I really respected and appreciated the nostalgia and usefulness of this knife. So she got it for me for my anniversary. And I, it, it's in my rotation. I carry it even more frequently than just talking about it on the podcast. That's so. awesome.
0: And you carry it in the, in the leather sheath that it came with?
1: I do, which yes. uh, uh-huh. is... is you know, I have enough stuff on my belt. But uh, when I do carry it, I do like it in that fashion. I may tap a pocket clip to it. I've I, seen
0: people do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just right right through the brass or the wood, and yep. depending on depending on where you want it. Mm-hmm.
1: Come to find out, putting a lanyard hole in these is uh, more challenging than one might think because of the hidden pins in here that make up the structure ah, of the yeah, knife. Okay. So it's, yeah. At first, I wanted to bore and countersink a lanyard hole in it so I could keep it. But right. I'm not going to ever do that because it's kind of a pain in the butt. But uh, <laughs> all right, so... That is pretty much the history according to Wikipedia as far as Buck Knives go. Um, there are many different models, obviously, of the buck knives, including the Model 110. The 112 that we covered is the slightly smaller. smaller. Uh, the 119, which is the large fixed blade hunting knife. Mm-hmm. It has, I don't know what the handles are made of out of that, but there's some it's, kind of a polymer. Or synthetic. It, it's, it's
0: some type of black polymer. Yep. And I think it's the same thing in between the, the initial guard and then the, that same black polymer and then the same yes. metal piece to get that black stripe look.
1: Yep. Yeah, it's got it. like yeah. black uh-huh. plastic spacers, mm-hmm. black plastic handle, and then aluminum pommel, aluminum guard. Which, which is
0: also right. slightly iconic in its own right. I mean, the Buck 119 has been in uh, several movies. The one that I know of right off the top of my head, of course, is Scream. Yep. And I think the same thing for Scream 2.
1: Yeah, and uh, then, there and, are uh, longer versions, too. And yeah. I, I'm not spun up on all of them. There's, like, the 119 uh, through the 21 or yeah. something. It's, like, five, yeah, it's, six, seven it, inch blade. Yeah, the yeah. 119
0: or the 120 in the movie. Yep. I can't remember which one it was, but yes. Yes, uh, the so... The
1: Buck 65 hmm? Hood Punk Knife, which I have no idea what that is.
0: I've... I've you know what? i got to Google it. Yeah. Buck... Sounds like 65. it was named after me,
1: <laughs> Matt Martin, <laughs> yeah, the Hood Punk. Yeah, Hood Punk.
0: Let's check that out. All right, so we're going for
1: images, and it is looks... it a big chopper with a hook for hanging a bale, like a pot bale off of it? Am I getting that right? Yeah. Let me see. How I'm gonna come Here, right. oh, Sorry, okay, guys. Okay, no, no
0: problem. No problem. It's a it's like a fixed blade, It's like a six inch, yeah. slightly clip point with yeah. a ramp, fixed blade. I
1: don't know who designed it. It's yeah. It's all right. though. I think there's like a hoodlum or something like that. <laughs> I think it's a decent knife. Um, just from looking at it, I've seen the bigger version. I think mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I don't know that it fits Buck's lineup. I, I, I personally, editorially, I think Buck should stick with the classic stuff and really push that instead well, of trying to tread into the some of the more contemporary stuff because yeah. it doesn't fit their brand to me. Like it just it pets me the wrong. Well, way.
0: Well, I mean, if you want, if you want a certain look, it still has to fit your style so people yeah. can still recognize it as your knife and. So, so it fits the rest of your brand. I mean, so that's why that's why that's why we, <laughs> not to keep on plugging myself, which I hate doing, but like we used to powder coat a bunch of our uh, Bravo Neckers and uh-huh. our STS series and the TACOPS series that we did for Blackjack were all powder coated. We stopped doing all of that yeah, because none of it sells to the people that we sell knives to. Yeah, to your customers, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so this this doesn't look like it would really fit for Buck's lineup. I don't know. I could be totally wrong though, but uh, it could have sold awesome. I don't know.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so. Just to me, you know, it's it's our show, so we can say what we like and what we don't like. Mm-hmm. Now, what they brand as recent development starts off. The very first two words are in 1984, which doesn't get more recent than that. <laughs> That's old <Zolzian. laughs> yeah. yeah. so. Buck introduced a survival knife with a hollow handle for storage and a 7.5 inch blade with a serrated spine and prongs, so the knife could be could double as a grappling hook. <gasps>
0: we need to do this.
1: Uh, yeah. Can we go try this? <laughs> <laughs> Dubbed the the Buckmaster, it was marketed to the military and fans of the Rambo movies of the 80s. The Buckmaster was soon followed by the M9 bayonet manufactured for the U.S. Army with an initial order of 315,600. Interesting note here, and I didn't even think about this while reading this. So, the Buckmaster, also known as the Buck 184, that's their model number, right? Okay. Google that. Buck? Jim? All right, and I, I uh, invite our li- I invite our listeners. Like this is some stiff shirt. You guys, Google Buck One Eighty Four or Buckmaster, and maybe even add the word Seal, as in the Navy Seal. So do. Oh. Okay. <laughs> so hang on, I'm gonna come around. All right, he's all right, he's coming on. around. He's coming around. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Um, uh huh. Um, and do go back to your the main search. And scroll through uh-huh. there. Right. So, Buckmaster 184, keep going, keep going, keep going. All right, just to save time, type in the word SEAL. Okay. Because it's also dependent on your search history. S e a l. Yeah. All right. And... Oh, don't fail me now, Internet. <laughs> there. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Right. So, you guys, Google Buckmaster SEAL or Buck 184 SEAL mm-hmm. or any of those... And you will see a black and white picture of two uh, guys, uh, Vietnam era, two Navy SEALs sitting on a rubber ducky. One of them's holding uh, like a car 15 across his lap. Mm-hmm. There's a big guy and a smaller guy.
0: Uh, yes. yeah, okay. big, big guy, big guys on the left, smaller guys on the right with a, with a bucket hat. So and, uh, that smaller guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the smaller guy. But he's got the buck one, but he's got the Buckmaster on the side. Yep, exactly. On his, on yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the guy
1: wearing the Buckmaster, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That is the guy I'm talking about. Right. Okay. That's my friend as a young man who taught me about the outdoors oh. and who carried the buck 110 on his <laughs> belt all the time. Oh. He actually I when I found that picture when I was digging through buck 184 buckmaster when I was in that craze, I emailed him and I said, "Hey, uh, you know these guys?" And like just kind of messing uh-huh. with him like, "You know, you know this that I I think I used some like uh, pejorative terms or whatever, you know what I mean?" <laughs> and he goes, uh-huh. "Where did you find that?" And he has the original photograph. Oh, on his mantelpiece at his house now and he was actually uh-huh. able to track down the lady who had it previously. He didn't know it was in internet fame. He had no clue right. that that's where he was at. And uh and I was like, yeah, and I'm not going to use his name or anything on here, but uh yeah, so he's the one that that really got me into the Buck 110 that's and awesome. ironically, I don't know about uh-huh. ironically, but coincidentally, he is also the iconic image used on the websites for buck 184 and <laughs> right. so, as the navy seal carrying them.
0: right because he's he is he is the navy seal carrying again yeah that's yeah. him yeah yeah it's so uh, that's awesome. yeah, it's pretty that's cool, so
1: cool. um uh, so yeah huh. it came full circle i didn't i didn't even think about it till i was reading the uh 184 mm-hmm. so uh you know and I, let's get a little bit into this so the buckmaster i was we'll, we'll probably cover that in another one i've had them I think everybody should own at least one at least once to make your own determination. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it fills a, a kind of visceral need to have this Randall 18, Buckmaster, Rambo, hollow-handled thing. <laughs> they're big and they're heavy and they're kind of odd, but uh, I, I think you'll like it. I think everyone should try that out. Now, in 92, 93, Buck introduced the Nighthawk, which I know Ooh. Hawk over at Ghost Town uh, Custom Knives is a huge fan of the Nighthawk. I am also uh, an enormous fan of the Nighthawk Blade. The handle. <laughs> yeah, it's it's got everything right except the ergonomics, in my opinion. It's got the right girth, it's got the right grip, it's got everything. Oh, but I see when what you're you, saying when you hold it, there's no perfect place to put your the, fingers. The lumps are in the wrong spot. They are. The yeah, lumps are in the Jim, wrong spot. you know yeah. that from oh, knife yeah. making and design. They're, yeah. they're just slightly off, and I think it's good enough if you had nothing to compare it to. Yeah, I mean, if you didn't hold, I'm trying to think what would be a, a great Anyways, yeah, I, uh-huh. I, but that knife particular, I really like. I think it makes a good pack knife and a good, you know, quote unquote mm-hmm. tactical knife yep, if the, you want to say the that. The blade is cool. Oh my god, the blade it's is cool. I mean,
0: even the transition to the handle is cool. The slight ramp where it's on yep. the where and there's where, a little rubber dotty or, thing in there yeah, too. Yeah, it's pretty yeah, cool. It Looks like it's two toned, but but I can but yeah, the belly, the ergonomics of the belly of the handle, I can absolutely see being a problem.
1: It's uh, uh-huh. yeah, it just uh. Man, I, I love that knife. So mm-hmm. let's see. So in ninety-two, ninety-three. Buck introduced the Nighthawk fixed blade knife, six point five inch blade, black handle made of Zytel for ergonomic grip. It, it's also worth mentioning that it had rubber inlaid panels yeah. for uh, you know tactile grip. Nice. Uh, this knife, best M nine. Uh, I think the M nine is what one is what they're trying to say in the brackets here was submitted to the United States Marines for evaluation by the USMC. In 2000, due to a demand from major retailers to reduce prices, Buck opened a plant in China. Oh, man. It's due to
0: demand of other people asking them to lower their prices.
1: Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So they did. Imports Uh from this plant had reached a high of 30% at one time, but have dropped to 13% with the majority of these knives going to large retailers as opposed to sporting goods stores or knife shops. So that was the public clamoring, we need a cheaper buck knife, they produced a cheaper buck knife, and they said we're not buying this Chinese crap, and then they had to uh, (laughs) reduce everything and reshuffle, so Uh. you want to, you know, for you guys in the trenches that are thinking about this, this is really what goes into having a successful knife company is the ability to react even at the size, I mean this was in uh, 2000, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean they started in 1941 you know, it dates back all the way to 1902 but from 2000 They noticed, so they were a large, substantial company with a lot of workings. They had floors of executives and stuff like that at that point, right? right. It's not just Hoyt in the basement of his church with an anvil and a grinder. (laughs) Yet they still had to kind of move on a dime and be nimble and react to what was going on. So kudos to them from taking their production line from 30% import to only 13% import to fill that gap. In 05, the company relocated to Post Falls, Idaho. Leaders of the San Diego business community considered this move a blow to San Diego County's economic landscape and a symbol of the state of California's problems in attracting and keeping businesses. Mm So, I mean, mean, there's a little political aside there, but, Mm -hmm. you know, they closed down their plant because they weren't getting the support from the area, and it is what it is. Right. Uh, Buck Knives has collaborated with different custom makers such as Tom Mayo, Mick Strider, the next guy I'm actually not going to read... And late Rob Simonich. Jim's laughing silently (laughs) over there. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's see. I ran a staple through what I think is an important word. Hold on. (laughs) There we go. Next, Alan Chuck Buck were introduced into the Blade Magazine Cutlery Hall of Fame at at the in nineteen. at the 1982 and 1996 blade shows, respectively, in Atlanta, Georgia, in recognition for the impact that their designs and company has made upon the cutlery industry. Buck's heat treater, Paul Boz, who heat-treated knives for other custom makers and production companies at Buck's facility, was introduced inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2011. Good for him. And that's well-deserved. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. there is no better guru of cooking blade steel than Paul. Um, products. Mm-hmm. Let's see. American Manufacturer of Style Knives. Um, and we already covered all that license and art, nice popular culture. These are always fun, I like these. So, in popular culture, in the 1984 film Red Dawn, which you have not seen, if you haven't seen the 1984 (laughs) version of Red Dawn, it's going to change your life even today. Like, you have to watch it, it really is. Yeah, I I think I'm probably 40% Red Dawn in my personality makeup, you know, (laughs) the big circles (laughs) that overlap with each other. (laughs) Yeah, Um, there's
0: Matt Martin right in between,
1: yeah, (laughs) the Venn diagram. It's like uh, Red Dawn. Mash, what would be, and, and maybe the tick or Archer, <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> and maybe the tick.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, a carton of buck knives was one of the survival items the future Wolverines took for that took with them when they were heading for the mountains. Patrick Swayze's character Jed Eckert keeps a buck folding hunter in a sheath on his belt. Mm-hmm. In the popular television show, The Dukes of Hazzard, both of the main protagonists carry Buck Model 110 folding hunter knives and are seen making frequent use of them throughout the course of the series. In various episodes, the Duke boys use their knives both as general tools, cutting rope, whittling branches, to help them get av- out of adverse situations poised by their adversaries, Exa- uh, You know, for example, puncturing through the tires of their foes. <laughs> it is worth noting that due to network regulations of the 70s and 80s, as well as general family-friendly nature of the show, at no point did the characters characters use their knives as weapons against another person. Um, as far as standards and practices go on television, I think that is actually probably the one time where they got it right in yep. the fact that we use our knives, both pocket folding and fixed blade. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people listening, I would say, would be in the 99th percentile of tool versus weapon.
0: Yep, absolutely.
1: And even combat vets... Rarely, oh yeah, specific cases mm-hmm. use their knife as a weapon. Yeah, at more, any point when right. they use their knife as a
0: tool, a thousand times yeah, more. They're more likely to open up their their MRE, than right? They are to, than the than to
1: get into a knife fight or a situation where they have to use defensively. or you mean, even even uh, so, cutting branches for a hide, or yeah, you know what I mean, yeah. or whatever it is, setting up traps or uh, anything like that. You know, whether yeah. you're a hunter, any outdoorsman, any uh, even fighter, you know, uh, American absolutely. fighter, you're still going to use your knife as a tool I, more I, times than you are as a weapon.
0: I absolutely see the merit of wanting to make sure that the good guys are using tools responsibly. Yes, absolutely. absolutely, absolutely. Think, absolutely. I absolutely think that's a good that's a good message to send.
1: Now, on the other mm-hmm. side of the coin, in the Scream film series, <laughs> <laughs> Ghostface' primary weapon is a buck 120e. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so the bigger so version of the So there's a bad
0: guy irresponsibly using a tool.
1: Only as a weapon. I don't think he ever used it. He used it for two (laughs) things, murder and intimidation. I'm going (laughs) to open up this bag of garats to kill you with.
2: (laughs) So, yeah, that's on the other side.
1: Um, uh, Also interesting note is a drawing of the Model 110 appears on the cover art of the indie rock band The Front Bottoms sophomore album, Talent of the Hawk. I did not know that. I would like to actually see the blueprint, a drawing like the blueprint of the Buck 110. So, That'd be cool. Or maybe Very it's, cool. when I hear drawing, maybe because the shop, I picture it being a blueprint.
0: Like, like a Da Vinci style blueprint, parchment style but drawing? It, for yeah. them,
1: it could be Prismacolor drawing true, of a Buck yeah. 110, so I'm not sure. <laughs> but yeah, go check them out. Uh, I, I don't know what they sound like, but the Front bottom sophomore album, Talon of the Hawk, listen to them. The Front and Bottoms. We, yeah, I'm not going to get into that on uh-huh. the air. But, uh, there you go, guys. The iconic Buck Knives summed up in 15 minutes or less. Thank you for listening, and we will be right back with some tech tips.
0: Mail call!
1: Oh, that's <laughs> got to be the coolest intro for any <laughs> yeah. ad we've done so far. Jim wasn't that's, expecting that. No. But, so, uh, you guys know that I am a fan of the practices of bushcraft and primitive survival, although I do like my gear. Um, you know, it's just, I, I like... It, it's a good skill that we should all know how to to, to employ. Yeah, I'm a little woodsy woodsman. Yeah. I just, I enjoy it a lot. And I happen to carry with me, most times, a Grant's First Brook Small Forest Axe as my pack axe for splitting and stuff. Most time for cutting wood, I use a saw or something like that. But either way, uh, I'm about two trips in without maintenance on the blade. And I, of course, have the grinders and the buffers and the satin glows and the compounds and everything. That's how I keep my edges razor keen on my axes especially. However, I got this amazing product in the mail that I've been dying to try since Blade Show 2016, 2017. 2017, Uh, And I finally got one. And I wanted to try it for you guys. Now, I already know how to sharpen an axe on the tools that I have available. But what if I didn't have my shop with me? What if I was setting up my base camp and I wanted a way to maintain my axe? And... KME Sharpeners puts out this magnetic base axe sharpening attachment, and it's a complete separate system from their standard sharpening system, right? Correct. So it operates using the same mechanics, and some of the, some of the parts will cross over, so you can you know use them universally or interchangeably, I should say. But I took this out; it came. This is yeah, this is great. So mine came in a zippered case, which I was very thankful for—a padded case. I'm going to open it up real quick, and you have the. Uh, I don't know what you call this, the base. So the magnetic base, and on there is kind of this heim-like eyeball joint. The same, same,
0: Yeah, the same as the regular KME sharpener.
1: Yeah, I would say from the magnetic base up, it's identical. Yep. And I used that with a convexing rod, and I used the Arkansas stones on this set because that's what's included as opposed to the diamond stones. And I was really happy with the outcome. So my edge was banged up. You know, I had been splitting wood in the area. On your Grandfords. um, Yeah, my Grandfords. Yeah, Yeah. on your yeah. Mm -hmm. So the, the edge was banged up because we were splitting on the ground. I didn't have like a chainsawed stump to work off of. Mm-hmm. So I was splitting on duff and I rolled it and even a couple little microchips here and there. Uh, and I was able to take this with the convexing rod. And oddly enough, I mean, this was just really fortuitous. I didn't even take the process to set the angle on it. I just said, well, let's see where it sits. And I used mm-hmm. the Sharpie and did all that stuff. <laughs> and I threw it on there and it was just right. And I was able to get hair popping, paper slicing, razor sharp. Now, there was what you may think from the scratch pattern to be a, not even a micro bevel, it's actually a pretty substantial bevel. I'd say it's about an eighth inch in in height Mm the bevel is. But in scratch pattern alone is where that line is because if you sight down the edge, it is truly a convex edge. Mm -hmm. It's a convex edge that runs off to nothing and it's got all the edge stability that you need in an ax. And I was able to whip up an amazing edge Actually, faster on this than I've been able to sharpen my knives on the camera. So It was, uh, it was. I, I was very excited about this. This isn't just a gimmick or get uh, a gadget or a gizmo. It's something that, in my mind, I would put in with my camp kitchen and take with me camping. so that I can repair my axe by campfire that night and get it, you know, razor keen. Whereas if you don't have a KMG at home, like a grinder or a buffer with compounds and all that stuff, then you get this axe sharpener and you also keep it at home out and readily available to maintain your edges. Oh, yeah. So this definitely gets my seal of approval. I was... I, I I just didn't know what to expect. I didn't have any super high expectations. I I knew it would work because I know how the guys at KME are. But would it be easier or comparable to me using automated systems in the shop? You know what? It's fine. I could crack a beer and have a hair popping edge on. Well, the I
0: back. mean, you don't have any of that stuff when you're on the field. No, you don't. Absolutely. So this is this is a fantastic chore. I mean, even at home, when you do have that stuff at your shop. Yeah. So, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I mean, so I mean, it was easy. It's easy to use. Matt, let me take a look at it when he walked in today with it because was we sat down to talk about this and I got to tell you even maintaining even maintaining the context that was on there that was able to follow it and get a phenomenal edge on there that blends in with the
1: geometry that was there before
0: and it's fantastic
1: It's really cool. This is an awesome product. So go check them out at KMEsharp.com. And uh, let me give you the proper nomenclature for this. So this is the KME Axe and Hatchet Sharpening System. And included is an instruction manual for all different types of axes and hatchets. And even your tactical crash axes and all that stuff you can use with this too. Very innovative. Another example of the ingenuity and brilliance that comes out of the KME shop. These guys never cease to amaze. KMEsharp.com. Check them out. we're back with (laughs) some technical tips I'm sorry guys I got distracted because I was uh trying to read this I'm sorry I'm I'm still reading it so I'm on the the (laughs) Buck Knives Wikipedia paper Uh that I printed out and it says key people Hoyt Buck founder Al Buck former CEO Chuck Buck chairman CJ Buck current CEO semicolon Paul Boss but I only see the bottom line it says current CEO Paul Boss and I was like, Paul's not the... Is Paul the CEO of That's <laughs> so just to re- how you read it. Yeah, Stop yeah, reading like, it. No, make I sure. like, that's really weird. So I got hung up for a minute. <laughs> I apologize for that. And we are back with some tech tips. We're going to take a break uh, just to mix it up. We like to do stuff for the trench crew, but we also like to do stuff for you end users out there who really don't care about making knives. You just care about having and loving knives. And yeah,
0: maintaining them. Yeah, maintaining absolutely, them. Absolutely. So today's
1: going to be a little mm-hmm. bit of knife maintenance, uh, specifically regarding... Uh, some flash rusting or some patina, maybe unwelcome coloration on your blades, whether they be satin, mirror, or blasted or even tumbled. So we're going to go over that and a couple of um, products that are not, uh, they're not like super Gucci products either. I mean, this yep. is stuff that you can actually literally go buy from any hardware or grocery store.
0: Oh, yeah, Walmart uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, sells it. Like, yeah, Walmart uh, yeah, sells, sells both. Yeah, sells both. Yeah, so for a good price too. Some simple products
1: so. that you can pick up, yeah, at anywhere.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So the first thing that uh, we want to ta- we want to tackle we want to tackle the problem of uh, minor rust and patina issues on your blade that is unwanted. Sometimes you want the patina. Yep. I mean, genuinely, some people are just like that way. If they they take a knife. First thing they go do is they start go right to a restaurant and cut a big fat steak with it because right. they or want a tomato uh, or something. Or, or, or yeah. leave the blade buried in an in an orange overnight. Yeah. You know. So just 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 so it leaves that. But it's, there are some guys out there that don't want that. And that's cool too. the The best and most popular method for removing those minor rust spots and that patina is flitz polish.
1: Yes. Every now, I, I think before we jump mm. into that, okay, I think it's important that we explain the difference between rust and patina.
0: Sure. Okay. So
1: yeah, a patina is desirable for mm-hmm. a number of reasons. Number one, because it adds character to the blade, which makes it uniquely yours. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people do vinegar, some people do uh, condiments with vinegar in them to yep. achieve the same effect. Uh, And what that does, it forces an oxidation layer to the outer surface of the steel, which inhibits rust. Believe it or not, it's gun bluing operates the same way. A blued firearm is intentionally and deliberately oxidized to a certain state Mm -hmm. to reduce or inhibit rust and corrosion further on.
0: Correct. Now
1: rust the enemy. Yes. Rust is corrosion to your blade that will start kind of decaying it and working away from it. Now, it takes a long time and it takes many years, sometimes even decades, for it to be an issue to where it hurts the integrity of the knife. But when you start seeing that orange discoloration as opposed to the grayish black mm-hmm. discoloration, actions must be taken. Now, yes. if you don't want the patina and you want it to look brand new, then that's your key, your call to action. But as soon as you start seeing orange, to save that knife you should start working on it right away. Correct. Okay. Yes, absolutely. So that's the difference between rust and patina. Right. Yes.
0: Totally. 100%. So um, the, the the easiest way to get that out, again, is with the Flitz polish. You can pick it up for 8 bucks at Walmart or 12 bucks on Amazon or whatever. And um, and basically what it is, it's, a, it's an abrasive – it's a gray abrasive compound in a small gray tube that you put onto a rag and you just buff your blade with it. Right. And, and, it, and it's an abrasive paste that just – you're just polishing – like and toothpaste, like like a toothpaste. Yep. it's, it's probably I wouldn't recommend using it as toothpaste.
1: No, but, but, but I bet you make your crowns really shiny. Ooh, yeah. especially yeah. if you have a crown. Good <laughs> call.
0: Good call. So probably kill you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't, still wouldn't recommend yeah. it. That so so basically basically what you would do is is you would identify your problem spots. You would get a. My favorite is a clean cloth rag. That's my favorite way of doing it. So cut up some old underwear or something, and and. I thought put, you said clean. Oh right! <laughs> 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 just putting a dab on there, and then just working in an even motion. You want to work in the problem spots first, and then if that's cool with you, and you just want to like leave that spot open, then then that's then that's then that's on you. But if you want to even more even on top of that, then you start working in a larger area in an even stroke, and you pull the all the, the scratch pattern basically is what you're doing one particular way. Right. And in the right situation, you can actually even mirror polish a blade with it. You have so, to be pretty close. You gotta, you, know, but you gotta be close very to it. fine, yeah. yeah. But you gotta be close to it. So I mean, like you could, you could really go all out with a sanding block and and sandpaper and really just get in there with some elbow grease and really hand sand the blade and then finish everything off with flitz. Totally, if you wanted to. But if you have some basic mirror or basic mat- basic patina on there that you need to get off, or even ever so slight rust spots that are just like on the surface that can be pulled off, flitz does a great job at, at pulling it out. It's really easy to do. So. Again, you want a tissue or cotton rag, small dab, about a dime size, and just start rubbing it on in even strokes. And uh, if there are any other large spots of raised dust, switch to sandpaper, get that out, and then
1: go back to the flits. Right, even everything out. The Flitz is spelled F-L-I-T-Z, and I think that's worth mentioning because you guys are going to be wondering what it is you're looking for. And it is in the home cleaning. You'll find Brasso Never-Dull, Tarnex, flits, mm-hmm. and it'll be in a, a metal... Tube much in the way that oil-based paints would come. Absolutely, you know what I mean, like a like a not lead, but like a malleable metal tube. Yeah, and uh, and the another tip as far as flitz goes is don't let it dry. So when you're using it. Yeah, yeah, so work with it, and as soon as you're done, wipe it off because it will dry pretty hard, and it'll become kind of a pain in the butt.
0: Right, and then it'll actually—I bet you—it'll cause more scratches trying to flip off the little rock-like pieces right, of flitz. Right. Yeah. You know, so and that's not what you want if you want it to even finish. But um, yeah, so but follow so, the
1: instructions on the tube and Jim's advice, and, mm-hmm. and you guys will be good to go as far as that goes.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, as far as knife storage goes, before we get into some of the other yeah, stuff. Yeah, totally. Knife storage. Uh, so you just you did you did the flits, You get all the rust off. You clean the knife off with water. Dry the knife completely, and do not store it in the sheath. <laughs> And then oil it, right? <laughs> well, I mean, oil it and then put it and away. And then don't store it not in the sheath. sheath. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that that's really important. I mean, um, especially uh, for so so a good example would be straight razors. Getting back to the razor craze thing, um, you done you, you you got your razor, you stropped it, you used it, you washed it. it, it 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 was soaking in the bowl with your brush to heat the blade up and everything. You sh- you've shaken it out and everything's dry. And I always leave it on the counter for about 10, 15 minutes. With a light coat of oil on it, wipe the coat of oil off. Fresh coat of oil, fold it up, put it away.
1: Oh, there you go. I mean, nice. I mean,
0: so so it means th- kind of the same treatment with knives. Of course, razors have a much thinner edge and are much more prone to being affected by rust faster. Right. Does that make sense? Yep. But of course, knives don't don't. But if you follow that method anyway, you're spending an extra five seconds, ten seconds of work, and you increase the longevity of your knife just uh, just habitually. There you go. So I think it's important to do. Now, Matt, you said you had something else to to talk about too it was called navel jelly navel jelly yeah that's
1: boat not belly button so (laughs) navel n-a-v-a-l uh and uh you know rust you know unlike patina which is a forced oxide to an extent that inhibits rust rust is a chemical reaction that goes on when moisture um the carbon in the steel and oxygen come into a little ménage à trois and uh <laughs> and it immediately starts corroding. So what you want to do is eliminate all these things and that, and that's going to be um obviously like I said the moisture, mm-hmm. the oxygen and the uh the carbon in the steel. Obviously mm. uh, nitrogen steels uh H1 sure. by spider Co doesn't rust cuz it doesn't have any carbon. They use nitrogen in its place, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So stuff like that. Um chromium is a great way that you're going to see in the stainless steels to inhibit that corrosion. Mm-hmm. Although they're all stainless, not stain proof and that's an old um, colloquialism in the knife industry because they that's exactly how they behave but they stain less they won't mm-hmm. never ever 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 rust under any condition they just stain less than a carbon steel a pure carbon steel but if you do get that rusty spot or even pretty significant rust, let's say you're refurbishing a blade that you picked up at a flea market or that you picked up at a sw- you know, a yard sale or something like that. And you're like, I think I can bring this thing back, but you don't necessarily have all the tools and abrasive mechanisms that we have around the shop to do ours. There's mm-hmm. a product called Naval Jelly and you can buy it at all hardware stores and most grocery stores and you apply that to the blade. So you want to make sure that the blade is clean, clean, clean. So clean it with Dawn dish soap um I like to take a little denatured alcohol in a very clean microfiber or cotton rag. Uh, to it after that so that it is absolutely immaculate. It should squeak when you touch it, although if you touch it, you have to clean it again. So just gotcha. keep that in mind.
0: <laughs> it looks like navel jelly is a Loctite product. It is. Yeah, it That's is. awesome. Absolutely is. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Uh,
1: right. The same makers of epoxies and super glues and all that stuff.
0: Yeah,
1: nice. Uh, so you take the navel jelly and you spread it on there. And I don't remember what the time frame is. And the time frame is also predicated on how rusty it is, if I recall. But mm-hmm. I mean, it, take, it could take a couple hours. You just spread it on like a paste. It looks like um, Sterno almost. It's like okay. a red jelly kind of color. Yeah, and it chemically reacts with the oxide and the rust Mm -hmm. the iron oxide and it dissolves it it turns it into nothing now Mm -hmm. it's not going to do anything with pits it's not metal filler right you know what i mean but it will literally eat away all the rust and you'll be left with a bright pit huh you know in worst case scenario if it's gone so far as to pitting and then you wash it off very well Mm -hmm. and then you oil them Crap out! Oh, I
0: imagine of it's extremely
1: raw at that it, point. Yeah, it yeah, strips yeah. it like MEK. So right, I mean, you have right. this bare naked steel, and you need to oil it uh, substantially to be able to protect that in the future. Mm-hmm. But it, I mean, it's, it's a great product. Again, I've used it numerous times for restoration products, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I like it. I mean, it just works. It, it, it actually corrodes the rust, and you're left with the pitting. So it's uh if like again if it gets that far. So. Naval Jelly and Flitz will get you by, and in, 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 in maybe auto body, wet, dry paper. You can pick up at any sure. auto parts yeah. store uh, for the more trouble spots or whatever it is. Uh, I would say I wouldn't jump in with anything coarser than 600 grit for sure. brightening a finish, you know, Oh, yeah, corrosion. no, that, that's
0: absolutely finishing at that point. I wouldn't try to remove material, No, you know, really. With yeah, that, but,
1: so yeah. you just do that. Uh, back to the sponge. Going back to Jim's point of storing out of the sheath, I am a number one offender about storing my (laughs) knives regardless of price, value, scarcity, material. I store them in their sheaths, and I feel like a jerk for doing it. Mm -hmm. And you know what I have to deal with? Rust. Brass guards. Actually, Uh I don't get rust on the blade. No? No, I keep my knives fairly oiled, especially Uh moving to Michigan. And I come from the west and southwest Uh where this rust just wasn't an issue. But no matter what, what I still get is brass and nickel silver corrosion and patina Mm -hmm. where it makes contact with the keeper strap and the sheath itself. Really? That's it's interesting. Terrible. You know, huh. It looks like the Statue of Liberty. It turns out green, <laughs> fluffy, and yeah. so I have uh-huh. to be very diligent with that, and I'll go through and make sure that they're clean, wiped down, and oiled, and then I'll put them right back in the sheath, because I'm an idiot, and then I put it right back in the case. <laughs> and so, yeah, <laughs> uh, But yeah, it, uh-huh. you will run into that problem, and on the Hollywood side, you would be like, nothing's wrong, nothing's wrong, nothing's wrong, but really when on a right-handed sheath, you look at the obverse side, the true mm-hmm. Hollywood side with the knife out of the sheath, and that brass guard will be green, and that is transferring to oh. your sheath and it's all of a sudden everything kind of starts going downhill from there so you start losing value by doing that so i would recommend <laughs> as much of a pain in the butt as it is store your knives out of the sheath you know wrapped and mm-hmm. in, in their blade sleeves well oiled and taken care of maybe wrapped in cloth or something like that Interesting. and uh, that'll preserve the value for longevity for users swing for the fences man just keep it on your hip that's all i care about
0: yeah yeah you're technically not storing it anywhere you're carrying it yeah, daily yeah so yeah um, um I am also a little bit of an offender about stuff like that too because I just have a drawer yeah. that I just put the knives in and even on uh, my marauder prototype I've got I've got rust spots yeah. I'm storing it in the sheath and so I can attest for a fact that you should not do as I do because do I have rust on the knives that I store on the sheath so like from an, from from a neglectful experienced user, If there's a way, (coughs) excuse me, for you to store the knife outside of the sheath, do it. You will not regret it,
1: and it'll save you so much crap later. There you go. Absolutely, 100%. And uh, just one more thing, Jim, if you don't mind. uh, No. The, the reason that we're covering these two products is because they are very working man friendly or working man slash woman friendly and they're readily available and you're not rolling the dice on a bunch of Gucci formulations that may or may not work in your scenario. No, and With, these, are,
0: these are extremely good options that are also coincidentally cheap.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah very cheap. Yeah, and the, the
0: Loctite can... navel jelly. It's five bucks. Yeah. For eight ounces. Yep. I mean, I mean, that's that's plenty you, you get by, yeah.
1: especially on a knife blade when you realize how far it goes, because you just kind of glob it on there and then dab it evenly. So, it you know, burns off even mm-hmm. um, oils. I, this would probably be a decent time. So what is an off the shelf oil mm-hmm. that you would recommend?
0: Probably a three in one.
1: Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. like a good three in one. Nice thin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Easy to apply. Lasts a long time. It's meant for meant for long storage, like for like for a firearm or something for maintaining metal parts, making sure that they don't corrode a three in one probably would do really good. Um, I, you know what? I think that's it. I think that is, it's so,
1: and, and you can yeah. get into like in the gun department of Walmart, get into Remington, REM oil, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. But I think three and one is, it's probably the money. I mean, you can do 30 weight I and mean, we use 30 oh, weight sure. yeah, all the yeah, time. Absolutely. You know, yeah. so it's like just straight. That's motor oil guys. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think if you did three and one mm-hmm. naval jelly and flits, you may be pushing it close to $15. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And that's retail off the shelf. That's not Amazon pricing. You know what I mean? So you may be pushing $15 and you would have an indefinite knife maintenance chemical supply.
0: Yeah. You'd have a very, very long lasting supply.
1: Add a little bottle of WD-40 to break old actions loose because it's a penetrating solvent more than it is a lubricant. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah.
0: It's not really a lubricant.
1: Not technically speaking. No, Technically it's
0: not. I mean, let's cover that real quick too. WD in the WD-40 stands for water displacement truth and it is a it's a formula meant to displace water
1: and 40 is actually the 40th attempt it's the 40th formula oh, is So it? it's, it's okay. water displacement formula 40 all right so, so it's yeah. not a
0: catalog of stuff it's just their 40th try and yep. then they got it that's so the stopped. one yeah okay and <laughs> and WD 40. It. Yeah. so it's not a lubricant so if you've got a squeaky door hinge and you spray it with wd-40 guess it's going to start squeaking eventually yes it's yeah. okay to follow that with an actual lubricant yes you know, I mean, that's what you really want to do. I mean, if, if you really want to get in there, clean it out, s- dissolve everything in there, remove all the water out of the joint, go
1: back in with the lubricant. WD-40 is great for what it does. Sure. Do not mistake oh, oh, what yeah. it does. Yeah, we're yeah, not doing yeah, yeah, yeah. WD-40. No. I'm just, I'm just you
0: saying. You have
1: to use it for what it's actually Correct. meant for. And Correct. that is as a penetrating solvent and a water displacement. Yes, And it does have the fish oils in it, which act as a lubricant, but there's no longevity to it.
0: No, no the fish oils are actually meant to help displace
1: the water, yes. not lubricate.
0: That's right. So, yes, so, there's oil yeah. in it, but yep.
1: <laughs> that's so, not the purpose. So, there you go. W- so, so, now we're at um, WD-40. I'm going to just recap. <laughs> WD-40, three-in-one, navel yeah. jelly and flits
0: and flits and you're good to go
1: that's all you would ever yeah. need now if there's other stuff that you find to be marginally better because of your research and control experiments and all that then go for it and there's a million different products out there but for the average guy who's got a garage or who has a uh, hobby space in the basement that isn't being encroached on by the rest of the family god bless you then uh, <laughs> go ahead and get those four products and you would be good to go for under 20 bucks and everything you would ever need on a knife is handled
0: Absolutely, man. All right, I think that covers tech tips and basic, basic knife maintenance care. And uh, you cats are pretty sharp. Yeah. And, if you, and if you, of course, if you have any more questions, hit us up at Info Behind the Blade podcast or hit us up on the Facebook page. Again, I'm going to start saying that more often so we get more people. So hitting get us up more, on the Facebook more, page. More, yeah, because we just because broke a
1: thousand likes on there. We did. Yeah. Let's
0: talk about that for yeah. a second. So at the at the end of the segment, we're sitting currently sitting at, and I just accidentally closed my Facebook tab. Because awesome. Because I'm in a hurry. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> so, come on. Load. Where are we, at? we have
1: behind the blade. I'm going to see if I can beat him with my new phone. Oh. Oh, I think I did. Oh, did you Yeah, 1045. We got 95 likes this week. Oh my and goodness. So yeah, 1045 likes on Behind the Blade podcast Facebook page. Um that is not I wish it was the actual number of our subscribers. So there's something fundamentally wrong here because we got <laughs> 1,045 likes, uh-huh. and we still are at less than 500 subscribers. Otherwise, you, somebody would be walking away with a KME sharpening system. So, oh yeah, I mean uh, that'd be
0: easy to do. So, uh, so, so the people liking our Facebook page. Get on iTunes and subscribe or SoundCloud. Hit that follow button, you guys. That's it. Because, because once we hit 500, that's another giveaway.
1: Less than half of you need to hit the subscribe button, and we'd be giving away that get that uh, KME sharpening Yeah. Set. So something <laughs> to think about. Something to think about. Listen here. We will be right back. I hope you guys enjoyed that segment, but we will be right back with your Q&As.
0: Hey Matt. Yo. You ever used the the Nanocloth from Genda Industries?
1: Mm-hmm. What is that?
0: The the Nanocloth, they call it nano cloth ultra they consider the next generation in stropping the uh, it actually has a honeycomb structure built into it so it's like a 16th or maybe up to an eighth inch thick of kind of just, like a
1: voided matrix yeah kind sort of like of, a
0: voided okay. matrix that uh, that actually loads with either their poly diamond emulsion or their cbn emulsion and it actually like a uh, it, it loads like it's almost like a little little bar of compound that like, like muffin a- dishes
1: Oh, muffin y- muffin oh, tins. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like so a you muffin actually- tin filled with diamond juice. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but
0: that's what you strop on. Yeah. So, so it's just basically that across the whole thing, man. And and because of those columns, it exposes with pressure either more or less abrasive material. So the more pressure compresses the cloth, exposing more abrasive, making it more aggressive at the same grit, which is awesome. Right. So, or use no pressure to do as what Tom would consider, because Tom Blodgett uh, coined this phrase to tickle the
1: edge. That's a Blodgettism for more back. Yeah. yeah. Blodgettism
0: <laughs> for final for final stropping, and uh, it's in synthetic material, so it withstands wear and tear. Feedback is homogenous. You can go backwards, forwards, sideways, diagonally. no great. Yeah. not Doesn't matter whatsoever. And their entire system is color coded to match the the same colors of their bo- uh, on the bottles of the emulsions themselves.
1: So you avoid that cross contamination of putting too coarse of a grit in too fine of a cloth. Then making it rendered, you know, inoperable for the finer stuff.
0: Absolutely, man. Nice. And I mean and they have a huge wide range of grits and everything from the roughest which is 4000 grit, which is 4 micron to 0. 0.025 micron at 600,000 grit. Oh. That's cow. Crazy. Yeah. So yeah. if you really 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 want to put a fantastic super super micro micro sharp atom splitting edge on there,
1: this is the product for you. Yeah, be careful. Don't swing that around hydrogen, man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Who needs plutonium?
1: <laughs> Where can I find this stuff? If I want to check it
0: out. You can find the Genda Nanocloth Ultra, Kangaroo and Cowhide Strops, Genda Poly Polydiamond Emulsion, Genda CBN Emulsion, Custom Stones and Strops, for Hapstone, Edge Pro, and Wicked Edge, and KME Sharpeners. Sweet. I will have to go get me some nanocloth, sir. www.gendaindustries.com. Oh, Matt, good, sir. We are back for our absolute favorite, favorite segment,
1: the Q&As. Yo. <laughs> Hang on, I'm trying to pull it up on my phone because, you know, professional. Because, <laughs> you
0: know, we're, we're getting there. I can actually just start this over. You know? No,
1: no, no. Okay. No, let's roll with it. So <laughs> no. just so you guys right. know, we have that ability, and we're not even exercising at this point. How so. many
0: times have we done this without you even knowing yeah, about yeah. it? Yeah. Oh. No, actually, not many. Not I, ma-
1: no, I think this is literally the first time. I think there was one where I went on a rant that went so far off the rails and got borderline emotional and we were like, you know what, that's just not gonna make it to the air. It's like, and well,
0: we, well, no, it was beautiful editing for me because there was a very clear... where There was a very clear uh, thing where it came in and then you went on your tangent and then it immediately went back to what we were talking about. So it was able to very <laughs> ah, neatly clip the tangent out yeah. and blend the, the 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 time the time code the time frames together, and no one could tell. And it was deleted. It was it's <laughs> it was gone. gone. <laughs> it doesn't exist anywhere. It's not on a
1: b roll. It's gonzo. Yeah. So don't even ask. And I I don't think have we ever re recorded an episode? No. Or even a segment?
0: No. I think I think we recorded we we accidentally lost. I think it was like a. Like a, like a problem with Adobe Edition when we were oh. first starting, we did like the first segment of the show. That's right. And then we had to go back and redo it. But I'm glad that it happened because this what we what we ended up redoing was ten times better than the first thing we recorded. Right. And usually it's the other way around. Like 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 we waste all the energy. And the first thing, then going back and trying to reconstruct that is, is way harder. You but it's soft, like yeah. we just we just kind of like had like this unspoken way of, of 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 getting that exact all the same points but with a better better delivery and better feeling. So yep. we were right on top of it. It was great. But uh, mm-hmm. but other other than that, it's been going excellent. So first question
1: it is for you, so I'm gonna read it to you. Okay. All right. For Jim. What process do you guys at BRK put a blade through when something very patinaed comes in for a spa treatment?
0: So, it's a good question. So, basically, basically a spa treatment is just a very quick refurb. And usually, when blades come in for spa treatment, they're dull. They have uh, patina or ever-so-slight rust. Um, on the blades and then at that point we just take it back through our polishing line and we 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 quickly analyze the grinds and make sure that uh, there isn't any huge rust or any problems with the edge or the tip or anything and they all go through the sharpening thing again and they just basically go through the buffers and that's really all it is it's a very quick process it should be a very quick turnaround time for 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 when stuff comes in for a spa treatment but and the thing is it's one of my favorite things to receive because one it tells me people are using the knives yes Two people are using, really using the knives enough to make them go dull and patina up, and you can tell there's been a lot of love and a lot of work yep. put into them, and it just makes me proud right. as a knife maker to see people to see people really using the stuff. So, so it's really cool. But to our credit, no, not in credit, not but uh, but to our but to our efficiency and to your guys' credit, it goes through very quickly. Um, so, so, uh, spa treatments are typically very quick. Nice. There yeah. So it's a quick two 600 on the polish wheels, quick white wheel, and then just blade work again. The- they just go right through the process and down the line.
1: There it mm-hmm. is. So I hope that answers your question for Matt. That's me. I'll same- read
0: that one to you. Okay. Shut up.
1: <laughs> Done.
0: <laughs> for Matt, same questions. Oh, okay. <laughs> 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 and, and how often do your customers want to send things in for a quote spa? Is this, a service you think is possible to provide as a custom maker. Cheers, guys! I can't wait for the next step. Thanks, Jim Fagan.
1: Yeah, uh, we get uh, we get them every once in a while. To be quite honest, I hate the term spa, so we call them tune-ups uh, because I think spa treatment is just it's too fruity for me. I, you know, and I'm not even like that. I just don't like that. Term. I, I think it's like here's a working tool. Let's put cucumbers over its eyes and wrap a towel around its head. Give it a mud and, bath. And that's yeah. how I feel about it. And yeah. I'm like, no. I mean, that's a that's yeah. something you do for delicate skin, not a chunk of steel. So for a chunk of steel, uh, my chunks of steel get tune ups. So I am getting rid of the spa treatment naming convention and we are changing it to tune up. Um, so. We get them every once in a while. It's not very often. I, I know that, number one, our numbers are lower. And because our numbers are lower and our prices are higher, the actual users are less. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? So, I mean, yeah. there are people who everybody thinks they use are nice. but And maybe some of them do and don't send them in for spa treatments. We don't get that feedback. But as our numbers increase, we are getting a couple more back. Like, hey, this thing's been used to hell and back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have since the beginning of time, but it's just not that frequent. Um, I, it is a service. Uh, that is possible to provide as a custom maker, but guess what? It's not a free service, uh, Mm -hmm. because that does take time away from me, and it does take belts, and it does take consumables, and uh, if I start trying to roll every eventuality into the cost of the knife... We'd have, instead of $400 knives, we have $1,200 knives. Mm-hmm. And then I'd get no spot treatments, but you'd be paying for the service and you wouldn't even use it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, uh-huh. so, no, if you want to send something in, there is a cost associated with it. It is a service we provide. Um, sometimes it's damaged due to abuse and we cover that, no problem. I mean, if like a tip breaks off, that's our problem. Mm-hmm. If you're like, you know what, it has a ding here because I used it. That's not a fundamental issue with the knife or any lack in my materials or craftsmanship, if you mm-hmm. want to call it that. Um, so that you have to pay for it to get fixed. You know what I mean? Because that's a cosmetic thing that you did to it. This isn't a a fundamental functional thing. It's a cosmetic Mm -hmm. thing that you did to it. If it's patinaed, that's not my fault. That's not covered by warranty. I will fix it, but it's going to cost you. If you break it, break a tip, blow out a scale, that's not my fault either, but I'll still cover it. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's free. So we do that. (laughs) All right. Next question. Hope that answers your question, Jim. Um, Alex Harrison. All right. I got oxygen because This is going to be a long-winded one. So guys, I'm about to buy my first real (laughs) grinder, other than the $60 Harbor Freight grinder I've been using, and I'm leaning towards the 2x72 made by Grizzly. On the same subject, I'm sure you've heard horror stories and epic legends about this grinder that... And that grinder, oh, about this grinder and that grinder. But there appears to be a huge price gap when it comes to this kind of thing. Assuming the average listener is not in the position to pony up for a Wurtz machine, what are your recommendations for a sort of purchase continuum for someone gradually building their tool collection? Carry on with that same thing, or carrying on with that same theme, ranging from handmade beveling file jig on up to banks of CNC machines... What pieces of equipment and tooling do you place the most value in and in what order? Nobody wants to be that guy that owns a wood lathe but doesn't have a bench (laughs) vise. Good (laughs) point. Furthermore, where can I send you fools a couple of my patches from my LE agency as a thank you for keeping me awake on Night Shift? Drop me a line. First off, Alex, I'm going to answer this backwards. Thank you. That is very kind. And as we build the studio, we would love to have stuff representing our listeners tacked up all around so that you guys can see them and be like, hey, I sent that to those guys representing right. our yeah. video feeds. So we would absolutely appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And we appreciate the Ellie work that you do in your locale. I'm sure they your uh, citizens appreciate it, too. <laughs> so mm-hmm. going back to the grinders um congratulations on get not getting rid of but upgrading out of the harbor freight uh grinder i'm assuming it's a one by 30 uh, and obviously you can't answer but let's assume it's a one by 30 but it doesn't matter whatever size it is take that crummy grinder call up sean at phoenix abrasives and ask for a leather belt Oh, yeah. To that absolutely. dimension. And 100%. what you, what you just did is you turned that crummy grinder. I'm using so many euphemisms here. You turned that crummy grinder into a power strop from hell. Yep. And now you have this tool that you're like, this thing's, you know, it served me well, but I outgrown it. Now you have a professional power strop. Mm-hmm. That you can use indefinitely on yep. all your knives, and the belts for those little one by thirties are like fifteen bucks. Yeah. The belts for the two by seventy two are like sixty bucks. So, and yeah. I guess it doesn't matter, <laughs> and it's always <laughs> dedicated, and it's always set up, and it's always protected. So. I would definitely keep that tool on hand and use it in that capacity. Just my two cents right there.
0: No, that, that's an excellent point. I mean, cause now you have a dedicated actual thing that you finish your sharpening on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you, so you do all your work on your two by 72 that you're going to
0: do by the way, and then you just finish it there. Oh my God. That's
1: a great idea. Yep. And that grinder so is, has been in your shop from day one of knife making with power tools it, indefinitely until it blows up and get another one and use it for the same thing all right mm-hmm. so 2x72 grizzlies uh johnny over at Coba's designs use a 2x72 grizzly we, they ro- they they Go ahead. oh do you yeah we have one the little eight inch wheel
0: no the one the one on the end of our hafting line is a single speed grizzly
1: 2x72 okay yeah. okay mm-hmm. um yep. speeds they rock and roll and the motor cannot be stepped down with any speed controller Right. So this is great in the hafting line where Mm -hmm. Jim's talking about. They can run 1,200 just full bore or whatever. That's not a problem. Um, If you're grinding a hardened steel knife, running at that speed against contact wheel or platen, um, it's going to require more finesse. It's gonna require a little bit sharper belt, so your belt consumption is gonna go up because the duller the belt, the higher the friction, the higher the speed, the higher the friction, and those two things are a match made in hell. So yep. you have to really be diligent with your belt usage and with your touch. Now, with the touch, I'm of the mind of um, committed movements yield better grinds, so I don't True. kind of yeah. in, I, I don't pussyfoot around when it comes to pressing the steel to the wheel so you know i don't i don't dance and i don't just kind of tap here and there i'll lean into that mother and i'll yank it through the wheel or the platen or whatever it is and that gives me that nice crisp brake line so with the high speed grinders is this possible yes but Mm -hmm. you have to be no gloves Yep. okay no, no you can't yeah. use gloves and i no. use those little leather thumb cots that i make out of gloves to protect mm-hmm. my thumbs because i grind in uh, annealed state most times right right but but you still have bare skin available so you can feel what's going on on hard knives nothing i have to yeah. go just just oh, yeah. bear, bear, oh, okay. bear 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 oh, bear bear oh, yeah, you did just admit I, yeah, yeah, I can i can uh right. um probably withstand eh, 250 degrees before i'm at an extreme level of discomfort mm-hmm. you know what i mean as far as on the tips of my thumbs that are callous not like grabbing a pot of boiling water right, uh, metal right. boiling water and so so probably about 200 250 in that range temper doesn't really come into issue around 300 for most steels and up for most super steels mm-hmm. and yeah. so that's where you're totally fine as long as you're not turning it color for the most part um you don't want the you, you don't want anything beyond straw you don't want blue or purple or anything oh, no, like no, that no, then no, you're wrecking that knife yeah so it's just something i do think the grizzly is a good knife i think a lot of good knives have been made on it uh, what's the other one? Coot. Are those guys still around? Uh, those, those are uh, kind of a discount. I do I, I don't, I don't, I think I know what they are. Okay. So I don't think I've we'll, heard of them. We'll yeah, skip that. I've heard of it's the, been a long time. Yeah. Um,
0: the other option. Oh, uh, I've heard of Kalamazoo grinders. Oh, Kalamazoo. Yeah. yeah. I think they, maybe they, Coots
1: are expensive. Kalamazoo's yeah. were not. Right. Uh, so yeah, right. that would be comparable to Grizzly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Jet does a number of them too. That you can do good on, do well on, do good. I think superheroes do good. I'm doing well. Okay. Correct. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, good. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think you can do well with any of those 72-inch belts. You're going to see an immediate change in heat buildup, belt consumption. You're just going to love that compared to the shorter belts. Although, obviously, as you know, the shorter belts can make a damn fine knife. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If you've used it and outgrown it, then you know you can make a knife. So, I don't want to do the entire spreadsheet of where to go and how far to go because that's a lot of work and it's and, Sunday.
0: Well, well, really, really the entire spreadsheet is almost a journey of self-discovery
1: because it's what works for because you because that's what right. works for i you. never so, made mm-hmm. knives using only files
0: no Mm-mm. i yep. can
1: i mean i used to draw file a lot to sure. shape stuff but i've seen the way these guys do it and i never did it that way i yep. used a bench grinder a four by 36 and then files right to clean everything up and make it look right that was in the very very early days uh let's see what do you recommend first continuing someone graduate building a tool collection Uh, range from the handmade beveling file up to the bank CNC. What piece of equipment and tooling do you place most value in? Okay. So this one is worth entertaining. And I'm, again, I'm not going to delve into the depths because that, like Jim said, is self-discovery and there's certain Mm -hmm. tools that you're going to use that I've never used. And I bet you Mm -hmm. there are tools that I own that you'll never use. Right. So, uh, as far as what's the most important grinder, I think uh, whether it's a bench grinder, a belt grinder, but honestly, Let's not beat around the bush. A two by 72 inch grinder is the single handedly most important tool in any knife making workshop because it makes what would otherwise be cost prohibitive knives possible.
0: Yep, absolutely true. You can do 100% of everything you need to do on a knife on a belt rider. Yep. I mean, that includes polish and finish. Yep. I mean I mean you just you just need the right belts and the right technique and the right amount of experience, but you can do one hundred percent of all of your finishing, all of your shaping, all of your grinding, all of your beveling, all of your sharpening, all of your all all of your final bevel finish all on one machine. All on one machine.
1: That being so, said, what can't you do on that machine, Jim? Leave a satin glow finish. No, other than that. Okay, um You can actually get pretty yeah. close with belts and, and satin glow. <laughs> oh yeah, you can yeah. get close.
0: Um What can't
1: you do on a grinder? What can't I do on a grinder? Drill holes.
0: Oh, can't drill holes on a grinder. Can't drill holes on a grinder. You just started, guys. Oh my! Yeah, Uh, my first day. So a drill press. No, uh, yeah, I absolutely looked it over. No, it's totally. So that
1: would be your number two tool. So with a grinder and a drill press, you're pretty limitless at what you can make. Mm -hmm. And so if I were going to add, so these are in order of importance. You have to be able to drill holes to put handle scales on, but you could make a solid tang knife on a grinder alone. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah, a skeleton you could. You know, yeah, you however could. you want to do it. Uh, <laughs> like an integral or something like that.
0: Yeah, that'd be like a like a necker.
1: Yeah. That, that's a necker. Exactly. Thing. Yeah. Uh, but if you want to drill holes, even just to wrap paracord through, you need a drill press. Now, yep. why a drill press versus a hand drill? Because perpendicularity matters and when you start trying to make knives that look decent, you don't want to have one scale skewed off on one side and the other. Right, so. or having
0: to bend a pin to fit because you you, yes. you were off one way because because you didn't like a Put the put the time into a jig because you're hand drilling, right? You know, so so spend the extra money and get a drill press that drills straight.
1: And it could be a tabletop or it could be a floor yep. model. We it run a be. floor model, but I'd like to get a couple <coughs> craftsman old vintage I, craftsman tabletops.
0: Oh, I have I have two floor models and two bench models. There you go for for drill presses. Yep, and uh, and. Uh, you know the, the the benches are for a little bit sloppier holes hmm. that it doesn't matter so much. Okay. But but if I need an absolute supreme tight fit, it's one of the floor models because so like just reaming and
1: countersinking would be good on a bench. Model. Right. Correct. Okay. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Or or if or if I'm cheating a little bit and I need to drop a quarter inch pin in an F hole. Gotcha. Right. Because because F measures at 257. Right. A quarter inch is 250. So so my holes are slightly oversized and I can just drop it in.
1: That's um, a that's a little secret tech tip, guys, by the way. Yeah. I, for those of you guys that don't know about number and letter bits, it's good to give you because you were like, oh, seven thousandths, that's not that good. That's actually three and a half thousandths on either side of the pin, that's which is just good. enough for your adhesive to kind of weep into and give mm-hmm. you that nice fit, and you're not fighting and peeling up metal by press fitting, correct. Which then creates actual gaps yeah. in the scale. Because, so
0: because it's not gonna peel on the outside of the knife, it's gonna peel in, in between your scale and the blade. Right every time. Yeah. So when you're so, when you're
1: like, hey, I'd like to drill a quarter inch hole because i'm using quarter inch stock use an f as in foxtrot bit and that will give you the thousandths per side to pass through so there's a the little crouching tiger hidden tech tips um <laughs> uh, so we are at so my third so we are at grinder two by seven yep. two inch grinder drill press drill press and a buffer and a buffer yep. some mm-hmm. kind of bench motor that can hold buffing wheels yes. in some capacity even though you can do it to finish on, like, to, like Jim said, on the grinder itself, mm-hmm. having a standalone buffer will make your life a lot better. So so now we're at grinder, drill press, buffer, bench vice.
0: Bench vice, oh my God. Yeah, that's another overlooked tool. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. With anvil.
1: Make sure you have a bench vice oh, yeah, with, with, with anvil. Oh yeah, with an anvil. Yeah, that absolutely. anvil on the back. You'll uh-huh. be able to use that for everything. Um, a couple of assorted hammers mm-hmm. and all your lunch money and files for a custom maker.
0: I love how you put in all of your money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the rest of your money is spent on files. <laughs> files yeah. Yeah, and,
1: and, and there you go. So uh-huh. with those things, and then beyond that, it goes into torches and specialty stuff and, you know, blah, oh, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. blah. Start, but with rolling those rolling. things right there, I mean, you could really get yourself $5,000 and you are a complete one-man show. Absolutely. Yeah, and then it goes up exponentially from there. And then you have to start figuring out how to make uh, money back on it to fix your knife-making habit.
0: <laughs> because it will in all likelihood, become a habit. I've never met anybody that was that tooled up, made a knife, and went, eh, I'm done. Never, not once. Never met anybody. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's an addiction. That's absolutely.
1: why KMGs aren't rarely available on the open secondary market. They're just not that common. They're hands-teeth. <laughs> if somebody has a grinder, they don't sell it. You have to wait for somebody to die. Right, yeah.
0: right, exactly. That's funny. That's all the right. The
1: part about 0300 uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, this is the same guy. That's right. Mm-hmm. So, Alex, we will get back to you. Uh, have a good shift, sir. It looks like you just kicked off about two hours ago. Uh, and we are recording right now. So hopefully you'll be able to hear this on your next shift. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll get back to you with contact information. Because honestly, we'd love to have some patches from your uh, your uh, police Department. department. Thank you. I was like, <laughs> units.
0: <laughs> I suppose that um, would work.
1: <laughs> uh, we all know stainless steels, uh, stain less are not corrosion proof. Watch this video and maybe comment on how CPM 154 performed in this video. I'm not going to take the time to watch that video right now. Um, I'll probably check it out. One of us will message you. Uh, Leo. And that was from Nathan Schmokel. Hope I'm not butchering your name, Nathan. Thank you very much for listening. Schmokel. Yeah. Leo mm. Kirk. Oh, Christ. Carazales. Carazales. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it's not your name. It's my reading. So, <laughs> <laughs> Leo Carizales. Yeah. Out of all the steels being used, which is capable of skinning an entire hog without needing to be resharpened every 10 minutes? I don't know. How long does it take to build a house? How big is this hog? <laughs> what type of hog is it? I know that we have taken 154 cm in our Omega. Mm-hmm. Uh, it went out with uh, one of the guys from Magpul on a hunt. And he had a buddy, and they both uh, bagged antelopes. And this guy had a super high-end custom. And this was my early days where Omegas were like, they were 200 bucks. They were kind of middle road custom, I guess. Mm -hmm. And uh, this guy went in with his Damascus, and he was resharpening it every 10 minutes. And my guy took that Omega, caped out his entire antelope and the other half of the other guy's antelope without sharpening it once. So Uh out of all the steels being used, which is capable... And which is the best are two different things. One fifty four cm is capable mm-hmm. with the right heat treat, yep. but the best would be somewhere in twenty cv. Do you think? Or?
0: Uh, um. So it, twenty cv ha- does doesn't have a whole lot of lateral stress resistance, so okay. toughness yeah. on the side. So I'm 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 tending I'm I'm tending to. I want to answer the question differently. I want to, I want to answer a different question Okay. to kind of shed light on this first question. Gotcha. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I think really the question that should be asked that's pertinent is which steel do you think holds the edge the longest? You see, you see where I'm going with this? Yes. So, so because, because the task is so objective and Matt of course launched into, in, into that because I know guys that hate, CPM 154 and think it's a garbage steel. Right. And I've gotten nothing but performance out of 154 CM. Yeah. That's got nothing but performance out of 50, uh, CPM 154 or 154 CM. And, and I know guys who say that about 3V, CPM 3V. Doesn't hold an edge, I hate that stuff. I get nothing but edge retention out of it. Right. So, so in my opinion the best steel that holds its edge and is best for an all well rounded purpose would be CPM 3V, 4V. Or crew wear?
1: Mm, Not in game skinning, in in my opinion.
0: Oh, no. Uh -uh. No, okay. Go ahead. What's up?
1: Blood. The blood? Blood, too corrosive. And so, I mean, your maintenance goes up. So I I still recommend a stainless steel for for doing field work, game work. Even though the marble's ideal, obviously, was a carbon steel. You know what I mean? But come on, guys. Uh, We're in the 2000s. We can do this. We can do Uh a stainless steel for for
0: game processing. But, uh, yeah, yeah. So so you're right. I am kind of nitpicking a little bit. To, To directly answer the question, out of all the steels being used, which is capable of skinning an entire hog without needing to be resharpened every 10 minutes, that would probably just that's that's a user that's a user question mm-hmm. so it's hard it's hard to specifically answer that it is so so, so i mean I, I would say i mean it, you're looking at edge retention yeah i mean you so, know but are and, you gonna that,
1: be yeah. i don't you don't hammer the pelvis on a hog do you? no i didn't think no, so, yeah. you
0: bring a bone saw yeah and yeah so yeah. yeah yeah so you bring a bone saw or yeah. if you absolutely need to you would you could start a wedge and then get make a wedge out of a log, and then get a hammer, and yeah, then, then break it to, open, yeah. if you had to, you know, instead of sacrificing your knife. If but, you were tribal but, living. But really, it just, that just, that question just seems like it's, it's subjective. It is, yep. So, um, I hope that that answers the question, but as far as edge retention goes, that would, my answer would probably be 3V. Yeah,
1: but, well, but, here we go, Leo. Let's, so, yeah, let's sum this up. Of all the steels being used, which is capable of skinning an entire hog without needing to be resharpened every ten minutes? And I can tell you Eh, 154 cm will do it with the right heat treat so that is capable look up that steel and then check the benefits based on charts and graphs and experience and anecdotal evidence of people that have gotten better results of the other steels but use that as your benchmark and then you'll be like, well, LMAX has higher edge retention than 154CM does. You yes. know what I mean? But how does it hold up in lateral toughness? You're going to have to do some research in that yep. because there are a lot of different steels out there. And maybe what you use is a very delicate, thin knife, at which point you're not going to be hammering it or caring about the – maybe you want it to be tougher. If, right. Whereas if you use a more robust knife, yeah. then you don't care about its toughness. You want the edge retention only. Right. So, exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It depends on which knife you're using, what's the situation, the experience of the user. I mean – Good so, luck with your quest, so, Leo. Yeah. But uh, no, no no but but thank you for the question. It absolutely. is cool.
1: Yeah. Thank you for talking. Uh Roland Rivero, what is the most important knife sharpening tip you can give other than buy a KME product, which is a given. Um <laughs> uh, <laughs> Thank Roland. you for that. Yeah. Uh <laughs> Jim, I think this is your wheelhouse. So if there was one good let's just let's limit it to one. But it it needs to be a powerhouse one. A sharp <clears throat> excuse me. Nice. You're welcome, mm-hmm. guys. Um a sharpening tip. What would be your number one knife sharpening tip that people may not already know?
0: Buy a $20 knife and practice. Ooh. There you go. There you go. That's the most important sharpening knife tip that we can give you. I mean, I mean, I mean, that means that you will go and buy that $20 knife. You'll do research on your own to find different techniques and you will apply them and you'll find something that works best for you. And then probably by the end of the day, you will have a sharp knife. There you go. That that, that $20 knife had never seen before. Yep. That With with an edge that that $20 knife had never seen before. There you go. And practice, 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 practice.
1: Get so junk knives at yard sales oh, and yeah. garage sales and everything you can. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and work on those. So,
0: so that's probably the best answer that I could give. All right, that's
1: mm-hmm. great. Um, Alan Kritzman. Do you have a recommendation for a benchtop mill? Don't have room for a bridge port, so need something smaller for making folders. Also, would you rather fight 100 duck-sized horses or 100 horse-sized ducks? I would, or one horse-sized duck. I would much rather fight one horse-sized oh, duck that, than a hundred duck-sized horses.
0: That is one dead duck that's going to feed my family for six months. Yeah, but I, now I
1: kind of <laughs> want a duck-sized horse as like a pet. Like, that would be awesome. Like, just a little horse galloping around. You feed a little baby carrots and stuff. Duck-sized horses. <laughs> that you make so much money off of them. <laughs> one horse-sized Do you like duck. your teacup dogs? Yeah. Of course. Alright, yes, I do have a recommendation on a benchtop mill, and I think this is the best place that I can mention this, and I'm so glad to have the arena to talk about this, mm-hmm. is I have a Smithy yeah. from 1994 that is a mill drill lathe combo that I bought you know, secondhand from Craigslist from the seed factory. And it was so neglected and abused. And obviously, they're Chinese-made. You know what I mean? They're, mm-hmm. they're. I think they're assembled in the U.S. In fact, I know yeah. they're assembled in the U.S. No, but, no. You, uh, you were
0: telling me about this Chinese Bridgeport components. There was maybe a point like four or five months ago where I asked you, you know, wh- what what would you recommend? Because I'm looking at buying like a benchtop mill uh-huh. because I need that level of precision, but I don't want to buy a Bridgeport, right? <laughs> you know, so. So, so, no, Smithy's work really well. I think yours has only been down maybe like for like a week as you were waiting for some capacitor.
1: And it's from the 90s and yeah. has been rode hard and put away wet before I even got it, my hands on it, you know. and mm-hmm. But what I can say about Smithy, their customer service is second to none. I have never had a more pleasurable customer service experience than with this company. These are not sponsors of the show or anything. I'm just telling you this firsthand as a knife maker, calling them and saying... This thing is broken. And they said, we will get you the part immediately. And I said, you have parts for this 23-year-old machine? And they said, they're good machines. They're built to last. We believe that. And we stock parts on the shelf to keep them running. Mm-hmm. And I said, what an amazing philosophy to have. And so, I mean, I cannot say enough good things. Now, are they going to hold uh, you know, insanely tight tolerances? You could probably expect three to five thousands holding tolerance out of them. Um, mine is run out a little more than that, probably because of all the time it's been mu- uh, moved and all the abuse it received before my possession. Um, so, but you can expect them to hold very tight tolerances to get good guards, get good jimping, whatever yeah. it is you want to do. But I absolutely recommend that brand for their customer service and availability uh, availability of parts alone and the fact that they are, what they like to say is virtually American made or as close to American made as you can get. Right. Uh, and they're also very affordable. So I would look into the Smithy line and you can buy with confidence, get a used one because you can always hit them up and get parts. Yeah. So yeah, visit their website. I don't know what it is, but it's just Smithy, S-M-I-T-H-Y. Uh, we just do some Google Foo. Oh, okay. Try it. Good. I got to reboot my, Sm- it, I just got kicked off
0: smithy mills oh, it just looks like smithy.com oh there you go y.com. there you go yeah so yeah uh, in fact in fact the second result is a lathe mill drill combo
1: yeah and i think there's like the midas 1200 which is a name that came about after my model was made or yeah it's, yeah so that is going to be the comparable machine that and it shares a lot of parts mine just wasn't called that they eventually branded it the midas right yeah they have the midas
0: three and one is one of the options there, you in go. there for sure for sure how much how much is this Oh, it's a one ten. It's a one ten plug. So, yeah. So is mine. Yeah. Yeah. So you just plug it into the wall. Yeah. If you, you can, can plug you in a toaster,
1: that, yeah. you can have a mill. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No three phase. No two twenty. You don't have to kick the dryer out of the basement. You know what I mean? Like you, you, just plug it into a wall.
0: Right. Not bad. Not bad. And it comes with tools. Yep. Looks like it comes with tools. And so you know, yeah. and be
1: ready to spend about the same amount on tooling, if not more, than your initial purchase of the mill. So if right. you're like, I have a two thousand dollar budget for the mill, you can expect to have a two thousand dollar budget for your tooling to go with it. So Absolutely. Just know that getting into it absolutely um, yeah the,
0: the quick there's a quick start tool pack that comes with the Midas three in one mill it says worth nine hundred and thirty five dollars yeah exactly and that's and like a
1: couple drill bits a couple cutters and a vice right yeah
0: like, this comes with uh lots of dead centers and drill trucks and arbors okay oil can, yeah. smoke. it comes with carbide bits Yep. it just says carbide bits and end mills and end mill adapters 90 degree angle vice t not sluts yeah t slot nuts <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: <laughs> would you like some tea or option b <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, okay. so,
1: so... stay in the show guys yeah. sorry
0: oh my oh, goodness that was funny <laughs> yeah yeah uh, mm, brain misfired for
1: a second <laughs> so sigmund freud was right <laughs> what do you mean next question that's what i mean uh sorry my facebook is being a jerk all right, next uh, question. Gino Sensi, I'm getting in traditional knives, mostly slip joints of the trapper, canoe, jack, etc., etc. styling. What companies do you recommend? I'm trying not to break the bank while trying different styles to figure out what works for me. Thanks. Gino Jim, what do you say? This is your this is your your hmm. arena.
0: Well, well, definitely Great Eastern cutlery my favorite and and all of their subsidiary companies i think tidewet is in TDUT. tidewet
1: tidewet is in there Unxld, Yeah, the unxld the
0: unxlds are are also in there so definitely keep 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 an eye out for those um and
1: uh northwoods
0: uh, no i don't yeah no. Mm, uh yeah well so there's there's a uh, yeah northwoods you could definitely say that you could pick those up at uh Usually on the secondhand market as well. Northwood slip joints. I know they sell out so fast. They they yeah, sell out ridiculously fast. So I'm hesitant to. So yeah, that's why Matt and I were hesitant to even say it because because it's like it's like the fervor is already like a wildfire in California right, right yeah. now for those knives. So um, but no, those are if you can get your hands on some of those, those are definitely excellent knives. And the, the uh, Northwood Queen yeah. Queen cutlery. Is he looking
1: for patterns or companies? Hang on, let me.
0: Companies. Okay, what, that's what, what I companies thought. do you recommend? So so. Yep. You know, there's nothing wrong with starting with case. Yes, there's nothing, nothing wrong starting with case. Case has a great four-inch, like I think it was forty bucks for or forty or fifty bucks for like a four-inch serpentine trapper. Yep, with 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 both the blades, it's one of my favorite patterns. They've got a great model of that, and you can and then,
1: go so far back on eBay and get the oh, vintage yeah. vintage ones. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, so
0: yeah, uh, vintage. Case slip joints is a is a giant like microcosm oh of collectors God. like yeah. unto themselves. There are guys who are who go, I only I only um uh, I don't know, I'm gonna it Collect case number. canoes. I only yeah. collect yellow case canoes. Right. <laughs> right? And that guy who collects red case canoes I hate that guy. Right, He's an yeah. idiot. and, and, and and, and it's, it's, it's a little, it's a little crazy, but there are guys out there that are doing it. Um, slip joints is great to get into. So
1: case so, in, in order, if I were to say it, I would say case is your jumping off point.
0: Sure. Yeah. A great price. Great Eastern
1: mm-hmm. for the design and execution. Mm-hmm. Yep. And snap. Northwoods is yep. great. Very scarce, but you can get them on the secondary market. You yep. know what I mean? And that's kind of a uh, collecting fever. And then, uh, maybe, maybe queen.
0: Queen, yeah,
1: yes, yeah, I'd maybe stick yeah, with those three. Yeah, yeah, especially older queens. Yeah, there you and go. And
0: I'm not, you know, without getting too much into the politics or, or, or any any of the specifics, but you could definitely look at look at K, Queen mm-hmm. and get into some of their models and some of the some of the stuff that they have too, because they also do have a large following. There you go. So um yeah. yeah, actually actually I've got a number of queens. There you go. As well.
1: Yeah, so I would so, say that would be the, the ones to check out, the top ones to check out. But for sure. Uh, Great Eastern gets my number one vote because of their style and execution. Uh Case gets my number two vote because of the uh, uh the history and nostalgia yeah, and everything. The, legacy the legacy, yeah. Yep. And then uh uh Northwoods, uh, because they're they're new and they're kinda well not they've been around for a long time, but they're like a big deal still. Like they're still hot.
0: Oh hot, yeah, they're right massive. Right. They're massive. I mean you're talking about they'll have five hundred knives and they'll be gone in li- under ten minutes. Yeah, seven yeah, minutes li- yeah. Yeah, under like seven minutes, yeah. literally. And they'll be they'll be out. And because but they're but they're excellent made excellently made and they're very well put together.
1: All right. So now on mm-hmm. to Yoshio Ramirez. What is your favorite blade shape? Now we could get into like, well, oh, it depends on what you're doing. But I mean, honestly, what's your favorite blade shape, Jim? Like, what's the it's, one that pumps your nads the most? A
0: drop point. Drop Some, point. Something, something that is ever so slightly off the center, uh, high of of the blade of the knife. Mm-hmm. It's for me, and any length is the most utilitarian and useful, and carryable, and 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 just all around blade shape. Is just an ever so slight drop I think point. It's a smart choice. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, the, uh, the 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 Kachansky Bushcraft four inch is a good place to start. My my ultralight Bushcrafters like three and three and three eighths. I think um, is a, is a good place to start. But just a basic, easy blade shape that you're going to just
1: use. I'm going right. to attack mm-hmm. it from 180 degrees. Sure. And I'm going to say either the MacV Sog profile. Okay. Yeah. Or a dagger. So sure. not utility. Yeah. At all, not utility-based, uh-huh. Anyways, you know what I mean? <laughs> okay, so I'm going to yeah. be like, but uh-huh. my favorite, the one that I could be walking through a show, and mm-hmm. if I caught a corner of that blade, mm-hmm. I would stop dead in my tracks and be like, whoop, vector in <laughs> on it. It's going to be a dagger or uh-huh. a sog blade. Nice. And, and those, nice. that's my favorite, like, in my belly, that's my favorite blade shape. That's the one that elicits the most fiery passion from, yep. a, from a man's heart. Exactly. So I would have to say, like, a, a clip- uh-huh. Or a dag, you gotcha. know what I mean? But the Sog clip, especially. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. gotcha.
0: I, I guess, I guess, just yeah. You and I think differently in those terms. I mean, I can totally understand where you're coming from. But, well, like, but what, like, what do first... I
1: carry and what do I fancy are two different well, things. I mean, also, I, mean, I carry I get... a drop point every day, so obviously right. that's my favorite. But it doesn't, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, warm the cockles. Like, I mean, it's it, it just, it's just a good knife. You know what <laughs> okay. mean? Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: That's awesome though. That's cool. All right, guys, I think that wraps up. This is another episode. That's podcast right? episode, episode 21. 21 in the
1: bag. Thank right. you very much for joining us, guys. And we will see you guys next episode. This has been Behind the Blade Podcast, episode 21. I want to thank you guys all for listening, and we invite your interactivity. I think that's a word. If you visit us on Facebook, what's what's our address on it? Just look us up on Facebook, Behind the Blade Podcast. We're the only ones that have that name. We're the only one with that logo. So. <laughs> so check us out on there. Every episode, we do try to post a question box, and we look forward to your feedback. You can also email us at info at Behind the Blade Podcast if you'd like something that's not so public. We'd be glad to answer your question no problem please visit our website behind the and if you feel like we've contributed something to your ears and you would like to give us a little something in return to help keep the lights on click that donate button it's always appreciated it doesn't matter how big or how small it all goes towards new recording equipment anyways so we can give you guys the best experience possible and it may just may make our jobs a little bit easier too Uh, Anything else, Jim, that we need to throw in here? Please like, subscribe, share, tell your friends. We've got a campaign going right now with KME Sharpening Systems uh, to give away a full-blown sharpening system and swag pack when we reach 500 subscribers. We're already getting pretty close, but we rely on you guys 100% by word of mouth to tell your friends to tune in to the best knife podcast on the internet at this time behind the blade podcast check it out click that subscribe button tell your friends to do the same we'll be giving this away as soon as we click over 500.